With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was in black doing some work, and uh, that's when Captain Phillips came up. If you watch the movie or, or read in the books, they're the, they're the ones that save the day, but inside story is we were there. It was interesting because I had no idea how to hostage negotiate. So we had an interpreter with us and we were on the phone with the FBI back in New York. We could see where Captain Phillips was at this point. He'd already jumped off one time. So they had him kind of tied up. So they'd get around and then eventually we got in a rib and kind of were chasing him down, putting him back. They would shoot at us. We fucking couldn't shoot back because we didn't know what the fuck we were shooting at. Eventually we got the, got the Halliburton to launch a helicopter and use the helicopter prop wash to kind of spin them around and push them around and push them back out to sea. Were they not trying to shoot the helicopter? I got paired up with one of the red snipers and like, okay, you guys got this guy, you guys got this guy, and you guys got that guy. Jeff and his guy had, had the guy up front. Uh, myself, Clint had this guy, and then the other pair had the other guy. So this went on for, uh, seems like a while before it was like, Oh shit, my guy's up, my guy's up, my guy's up. And everybody's like, hey, we're red, we're good. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent 26 years in the SEAL teams. He's done over 12 deployments to pretty much fucking everywhere. He's got five bronze stars. He spent 17 years at Dev Group and was involved in the Jessica Lynch, uh, Jessica Lynch rescue as well as the Captain Phillips operation. He can smoke your ass from the next zip code and his middle name is Quigley <laughs> Down Under. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Terry Hewan. Yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. Well, it's an honor, Mike. Thanks for uh, for having me up here. It's like playing phone tag for the last yeah. couple of years or so trying to, no, trying I, to figure this thing out. Yeah, no, I appreciate the hell out of you making, uh, making time. I know you're in Texas anyway, but uh, I know it's kind of a pain to <clears throat> button hook back up into the north part of Dallas and, and spend a few hours, so I appreciate you taking the time. No, it's my pleasure. I like doing this stuff. Yeah. I'd like to take a quick second uh, to shout out and thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Origin Labs and Jocko Fuel. Jocko Fuel is a great product. Uh, he's got a ton of products actually within the Jocko Fuel line. Uh, the guests and I enjoy them on the show. And outside, I take a lot of the supplements. Uh, I've got some of the Origin Lab jeans, uh, boots, geese, and uh, it's just an all around American industry. 
they do a fantastic job really re-revolutionizing American industry from start to finish. It's all American made, uh, all American sourced. Everything start to finish is made right there in-house. And they really do a phenomenal job creating the products and fulfilling the whole ball of wax. They've been a huge supporter of the Mic Drop podcast for a while now. And I really can't thank Jocko Fuel and Origin Labs enough for the job that they do for us. And so thank you to you guys. I'd also like to say thank you to our other sponsor, Resilience Premium CBD. Resilience is excited to offer all Mic Drop listeners a 20% off discount on all products for two weeks from when this podcast is live using the discount code MICDROP at checkout. That's two words, MICDROP at checkout. I'd also like to say that Resilience is a great company uh, that works in conjunction with Trico CBD, and all military veterans and first responders receive 35% off. Yes, that's 35% off for all military veterans and first responders, and that's uh, through the military and first responders program. You just have to sign up at resiliencecbd.com slash military first responders discount. In terms of about resilience, generally speaking, it's a premium CBD that I use. Again, it works in conjunction with the Tricos brand for the everyday athlete. Uh, That's www.resiliencecbd.com. And resilience was uh, really born with the founders who uh, are military veterans as well personally experienced the effects and impact that CBD had on their own mental and physical obstacles. Their focus was sharper, mental stress was calmed, fitness stamina increased, and their bodies felt less pain, inflammation after super intense workouts. Uh, A lot of times most people and and people are able to either wean off entirely or significantly reduce pain uh, pain management therapy. This is a shared vision among the founders that this uh, incredible supplement had not only changed their lives, but had the power to provide unbelievable benefits to family, friends, athletes, fellow veterans, and ultimately the entire fitness community. So big shout out to Resilience for their product as well as the Trico stuff. Uh, We sure appreciate their support. Uh, What's the favorite hunt you've ever been on? I would say, well, two, and they both have to do with, with one of our guys. So probably my number one would be well, my number two would be a doll sheep hunt I did with uh, with Gold Recce hmm. back in 2010. So we went up uh, Tom Ratzliff. Do you know Rat? Yeah. Yeah. So so Tom set this up as a, quote, training mission to go up and learn how to live in the mountains with Alaskan guides. And knowing Tom, for the guys that, that know Rat, he set it up exactly as middle of the hunting season. Yeah. He had some uh, some ulterior <laughs> motives. No good deal. Good <laughs> yes. deal. Yeah. So we went up there and uh, spent, they spent 14 days on a mountain. I did five and shot a really nice ram and spent a bunch of time with the guys. And that turned out to be my last trip with Rat before uh, before he perished in Extortion 17. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then a couple of years after that, I took his oldest son and we went up in that oh, same area, cool. tried to save, you know, hit the same mountains. and Yeah spent a bunch of time up there with with his oldest god damn that's cool man yeah. that, so uh, those two would be my top two yeah I, you know i gotta say that one of the neat things about uh, the community generally speaking is uh when you see guys that that do end up getting killed the the way that the rest of the guys pull together and still you know play a pretty active role in, in their kids lives is pretty special you know it's neat to see that yeah i think that's that's probably one of the things that separates us from a, a lot of the groups i mean yeah. cag and those guys are pretty similar now but that bond you build with the guys and the families and the kids, it's, yeah. you almost feel obligated to, to kind of carry on as much as you can. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, uh, it's, 
to me, there, there's no greater responsibility, I think, than, uh, than picking up the slack as far as that goes. Um, what's the worst thing about the Navy? Oh, God, the worst thing? <laughs> how much time <laughs> how, do we how, have? Yeah, how long do we have on this thing? Uh, I would say from looking back now as being a retired Master Chief and, and doing my last job as uh, part of the Buds Training Pipeline up in Chicago, I would say the way the direction the Navy's going now is what really bothers me. Yeah. Kind of about it. You know, they're they're struggling to get quality people in that can pass either the physical test or the drug test or the criminal test and have the capabilities to do the job and how much slack the Navy's willing to give them just to get bodies in the door. Yeah. That's probably the, the worst thing about the Navy. Well, that is fucking troubling. I mean, so the the last point uh, in your career, you saw that pretty much firsthand. Was it, I mean, yeah. is it like where they're dictating to you like, yeah, the, the no, fucking, not on our side, not on the NSW side. They, okay. You know, they, hey, we got standards and it's pretty cut and dry, but just the general, the Navy, big yeah. Navy, because we're across the road from the boot camp. Yeah. So just listen to the, you know, the RTC master chief and, and the guys running that over there, just the struggles they got to do just to get people in the door. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Uh, what was Christmas morning like for you growing up? <laughs> Christmas morning. It was, uh, it was fun. I mean, back in, you know, 90s or 80s, early 80s and, and through there when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have internet, didn't have anything. And we were, you know, just an average family, blue collar family. Dad worked, you know, worked his ass off to, to get us what we needed. So it was, it was fun because we didn't get stuff ahead of time. It seems like, like we kind of spoil our kids these days. We're like, oh, you can open up a couple of gifts. Open, yeah. It's you Thanksgiving. Know, the before, and, prick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it was good because you didn't really know. <laughs> what was coming you, yeah. know, you kind of had your your sears and roebuck yeah. card you know catalog going and you dog ear the pages and yeah just kind of hope hope for the best and yeah. happy with whatever you got was there uh, any like traditional foods that you ate every christmas like without doubt in the morning not well we always did pizza christmas eve really for whatever reason it's just <laughs> christmas eve dad would bring home a pizza and we would have to do that and yeah, kind of cool. hang out and and then christmas it was I don't know, probably nothing traditional for Christmas dinner. We, you know, being a dairy farmer, that's what the, you know, the rest of the family's all dairy farmers. You know, dad had 13 brothers and sisters. So we always had a big Christmas family dinner type thing yeah. with those. So that was, yeah, the turkey and, you know, everything under the sun. Somebody had, yeah, you know, their specialty dish. Yeah. No, that's good shit. Yeah. I, you know, to me, I, I know for, for me, the, the nostalgia that I look back on, you know, holidays, specifically Christmas, and trying to recreate some of that for my kids and failing miserably. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just different, you know. Yeah, like we, we just, uh, I, I continually marvel at my parents' ability to, to celebrate Christmas uh, with the magnitude that they did uh, back then. And I just, I, I can't even come close to recreating it. But uh, I think it, that's, there's like too much knowledge out there. Yeah. There's, there's no mystery left. Yeah, especially for I mean, my kids are teenagers now. Yeah. So I mean, between fucking ring cams and phone apps and whatever, it's it's hard to fool fool yeah. them for oh, yeah. for very goddamn long. We didn't have Elf <laughs> on the Shelf. Did you, you guys didn't. Yeah, that's... we did. We did. Well, not I didn't as a kid, as a kid though, right? Yeah. yeah, but with my kids, we did. Which, yeah. which was fun. No, yeah. that Elf on the Shelf is next level. Fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, yeah. But, our uh, little Elf was a bastard. You know, <laughs> What's the best Elf on the Shelf uh, recreation you did? Probably some of the drunk scenarios with him and some Barbie <laughs> dolls and stuff. But yeah. Oh, that's fucking great. Which when the kids are like three or four, they yeah, don't they understand don't get, it. Yeah. Yeah, but, What's yeah. all that white powder all over the Barbie's <laughs> ass? Oh, don't worry about that. We spilled something. Yeah. Yeah. He's making cookies. Yeah. What, uh, what thing do you focus on in terms of holding yourself accountable for the most? Ooh, things. I mean, I'm not sure on it. If I just talking about as far as like, 
just continuing in, education and in, stay in shape and that kind of stuff or just just generally speaking standards in your yeah. life now like is is there one thing that stands out that you know that kind of takes takes precedence over everything else that, that you try to, to hold yourself accountable for it's probably that just that accountability so kind of like my mission now in life after retirement is you know, kind of trying to find that next purpose and what mm-hmm. i want to do is i've kind of settled on trying to well my mission if i was going to say it would be to use my experiences to make people's lives better yeah. so whatever aspect that is so if that's my mission walking forward whatever you know if you and i have a conversation and something pops out i can't let it slip yeah so i've got to hold myself accountable to make sure that i'm teaching you know, whoever i'm talking to whether it's business groups or coaching kids i'm passing on as much information as i can and explaining to them why it's important that we're doing this stuff yeah you know as easy as it is just to let stuff go sometimes it's it's hard to hold myself accountable to bring it up yeah. talk about it pick yeah. up the trash wipe down the counters you know all the stuff that it's easy to walk by if it's somebody else's facility. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, it's those little things that add up that kind of paint the the whole picture too. You yeah. Know? And I guess part of this too, it just comes from doing that Bud's prep time. And, you know, if I'm getting on average 200 kids a class, seeing how many of them never been held accountable. Yeah. And now they're in the Navy. Now they got rules. They've got to follow the rules and they never had to do that before. So they're wondering why they're getting kicked out. Wondering yeah. why they're getting in trouble. Yeah. What what is the uh, the attrition rate at that point? Because that's pre buds or buds prep. Yeah, that's right? buds prep. So we're our average while I was there is about 12 percent. You know, we're not a selection. We got standards to come in, standards to leave. As long as you do your job and don't get in trouble, we're going to pass through as many as we can. Because that's, that's you know, our goal, goal is to get them ready for California. So we're still you know ten percent from medical to yeah. guys doing drinking underage and getting stupid shit, and yeah. we're just self-selecting themselves out by not passing the test yeah i got you um would you say and i know it's hard to compare when you look back to when you were in buds and comparing to your classmates because like when you're in that position you always think it was harder or whatever but you know do you see like a huge disparity of the crop coming in now comparatively i I would say from a from a intelligence side and a and a physical side they're much better now really oh god like I had no clue what I was getting into, right? Yeah. You know, 90, in 1991, when I signed up for the Navy, there was no internet. There was no yeah. movies. Charlie Sheen movie hadn't come out yet. I was like, yeah, I had no clue. You know, yeah. recruiter saw it my way. He's like, come on in. He signed us. You look like you like guns and blowing shit up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah sounds like fun to me. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, though, um, if there's there's a detriment to knowing there, too yeah, much, I, you know. And that, it's, it's kind of the fine find balancing point of giving them enough education and enough information to do the job well and trying to weed out all the bad information out there because i mean shit with reddit and reddit pages and all these other pages that are out there the people looking on ways to cheat and it's yeah it's almost discouraging because they're they're coming in with these expectations of what they should be doing or ways to cheat the system already yeah because they read a book that's like oh everybody cheats and (laughs) If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Well, it, to a point, right? I mean, no, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at Hell Week, if, if, you, if you can save a couple laps on something or, or take a break in the back of the chow hole when nobody's yeah. looking, then yeah, why not? But yeah. you, know, I, you shouldn't start day one already looking to yeah. make it easier. No, I agree. And I, and I think the the key concept with that is is not getting caught, you know, because yeah. all, and also realize here's where the accountability comes in. Is it realized by fucking around and trying? If you do, you're going to pay the man and, and potentially even get kicked the fuck out, yeah. you know, so... Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that disclaimer is probably not not accompanying most of the <laughs> "Hey, you should cheat" advice. No, and it does. It's 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 a learning point, right? Yeah. Like when we went through buds, it's like 
they always try to cheat yeah. and we're going to learn how far we can go get away with it knowing that we're going to get our asses handed to us yeah. when when they get caught but. yeah yeah no that's no doubt uh where where did you uh, originally grow up uh, indiana northern indiana and you're still there now yeah right? that's yeah. where uh yeah so i i took that job up in chicago on the way out after making master chief kind of like down cycle a little bit slow down a little bit take a take a break after you know 17 years at the command so I took Chicago families like, well, we don't want to be in Chicago, but we'll be close by. So it's a couple hours away. So yeah. drive up, drive home on Friday and back up on Monday. And yeah. Is, uh, is Bobby Knight Jesus in Indiana? I think he still is. I think Pretty he's still close. up behind an altar right there. I mean, is there a, like, do you have a Christmas ornament of Bobby Knight on the Christmas tree? I, I don't, I'm not a bass, you know, I'm five and a half foot tall. I'm Smurf, <laughs> Smurf crew guy. So I wasn't yeah. a basketball kid, but yeah. yeah, between him and Lou Holtz, I don't know which, uh, yeah. who carries more weight in Indiana. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, speaking of family and, and sports, uh, generally speaking, did you, it sounds like you, you, so you grew up on a dairy farm, were sports a, a part of that childhood and, and what was your family life like? Yeah. So I grew up swimming, soccer and wrestling it was kind of, kind of the stuff that I got into and, and, you know, and helping around the farm. You know, my dad was one of the few that didn't, well, I grew up on a farm helping on the farm, but then he got a job outside of that. So we still help, you know, picking up rocks in the summertime and, yeah. and detasseling corn and all that. Good redneck shit. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm from Iowa. did the same, oh, same yeah. shit, yeah. you know, so. Builds character. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm curious, like, I, I didn't grow up on a, on a dairy farm. My my family, like my my dad's aunt and uncle had had a small family farm not far from from where we lived. Uh, so we spent some time on there, but but for sure didn't grow up, you know, tending to, to livestock and things of that nature. I am curious. With the wrestling background and growing up doing that, specifically like grip strength and just overall wrestling, tussling strength, did you, did you find that you had an advantage over kids that didn't grow up on a farm from a wrestling standpoint? Uh, I think so. I mean, when it comes to buds, like pull-ups were not an issue for me. So like growing up and, and in high school, would you say, you know, you were a good student or, you know, a good athlete or, or what have you? Also, I was a, probably an above-average athlete and uh, – decent student i was i passed but uh did not excel at anything like sub south of three three point grade average uh, i'll be lucky if i saw the north side of three yeah <laughs> yeah i'm right I, there just, with you yeah i just I never like really got five it was funny you know looking back on it now after you know because I, I finished up my degree and everything and, and i liked that and i did well it was just like i didn't really get into the classes so yeah. like the classes i liked i did really well at and then in the ones that just didn't really get my interest or the teachers didn't give me interest yeah didn't go I did well enough to to not fail. Was there um, a point at which you were like, "Yep, this is what I'm fucking doing. I'm joining the seals." And and if so, what was the catalyst <laughs> to that? Yeah, I would love to have that story of like these guys. Like, yeah, I was four years old and I knew from yeah. like day one I wanted to be a seal. Like, no, and I didn't have a clue. I knew when I graduated school, I had three options: I could stay in town and work and be like the guys that stay in town. I could go to college which i had no i was not nearly mature enough to go to college at that point or i could join the military growing up swimming i liked i liked the water so like i'll go talk to navy guys they got divers i'll go learn how to scuba dive that's what i'll do i went and talked to him and you know typical recruiters like oh what do you like doing when your hobbies what do you what your pastimes tell him about hunting and fishing and being outdoors and they showed me a poster you know like those guys coming out of the water they got yeah. guns jumping out of airplanes <laughs> he's like what about this I'm like, yeah that looks pretty cool. What is that? Yeah. He's like, well, you like shooting guns? I mean, yep, check, got it. I'm about blowing stuff up. I'm like, never done it, but it sounds pretty damn cool. Yeah. Like, Hell yeah. And then jumping on an airplane, sign me up. So he signed me up and 
had no clue. Didn't mention like how long buds was, attrition rate. Did he what mention like afterwards? seals or was he just like, well, yeah, he said he showed me seals yeah. and they gave me this little yellow <clears throat> envelope. It was like, yeah. flip it open. It, it said like buds is training program, whatever, but didn't say like 90% of the guys didn't make it. And you yeah. had to go haze green underway and chip paint and yeah. scrub shitters for four years if he didn't make it. Did he give you that, uh, excuse me, did he give you that fucking warning order with the workouts uh, in it? No, I didn't no. get shit. I, no. I went to boot camp in Orlando and that's where that's where I met. Well, actually, one of those guys on the calendar was a motivator down there. No, no so shit. we started doing the workouts with those guys and that was my first kind of, okay, what's, there's something more to this than, than what the picture was. Yeah. So it was good talking to those guys. It was him and a uh, big black guy, I can't remember his name, but awesome dudes. It would, I would just ask them questions after question after question, and they would just like soak it up because, you know, in our in our company we had I don't know ten or fifteen guys that were in that program, yeah, and hardly <clears> any <throat> of those guys even cared about it, yeah. So me and two other guys would sit there and just show up four in the morning, do our workouts, ask them questions, and do extra workouts, and that was my first kind of, at least a glimpse behind the counter or the yeah. curtain of what what that was, and then, then one of the uh, boot camp guys, you know the. You know, whatever the drill sergeants are that they run boot camp, they brought in the, the Charlie Sheen movie. So we watched that and like, <laughs> in front of boot camp. He's like, oh, this is what Terry and I can't remember the other two guys were. They're like, this is what they're going to be. Yeah. It's like, hell yeah, like, God, man. call God. I'm going to shoot some yeah. thermals through through walls. Yeah. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Did uh, so You went to a fucking boot camp in Orlando. That, must, yeah. that was towards the end of when it existed there. Yeah, it was there, uh, right? 91. No, 92. <clears throat> January 92, I went down there. Yeah, I don't think there were too many classes afterwards before they shut that down. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, I came in in 96. <clears throat> And uh, at that point, it was just Great Lakes. But yeah, but, yeah, that was uh, the the beauty of the Navy. They sent me to I'm from Indiana. They sent me to boot camp in Orlando, and then A school back up in Chicago. Yeah, like, all right, hey, fucking brilliant. <laughs> it was nice. I, I bet it was nicer than being in Chicago oh, in yeah. January. Oh fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so w- once you graduated there, what was your A school? Uh, electrician's mate. Yeah, yeah, I had no clue. Yeah. They said you got to pick one, and one of the guys in boot camp was like, "Hey, this is my brother does this, and he says it's cool." <clears throat> was there anything that? Um, that, that you picked up there that you retain today that's worth a fuck? Uh, from my A school? Yeah. Is, yeah, don't touch fucking live wires because they hurt. 
and electricity will kill you. So it's, it's amps, not the voltage. Yeah, those, those yeah. are the two key components, yeah. right? Electricity is like water, it's just going to yeah. flow in, in one side out the other. Yeah, that's fucking great. Yeah. All right, so you go to Bud's uh, late late 100s, is that? 189, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got out there, 188 was just classing up, and they uh, told me to go out to San Clemente Island to be one of the, the helpers out there for a few weeks. Yeah. And by the time I came back, 88's already classed up, which is good for me because I was not in the right mindset or shape to even yeah. start first phase at that point. So yeah. they did me a favor by sending me out there. Was it, was there anything during the BUDS uh, process that uh, surprised you or that, that kind of stands out as being uh, super impactful? Yeah, I would say the whole, the whole process and looking back on the science behind it and you know, built when you're going through it, it's like, this is just fucking mayhem. There's yeah. beat me down and it's going to kill me until it's, and whoever shakes out the other end is going to be good. But knowing the science now from being a backside of it or being part of that program is the structure to the grind that they put you through. Yeah. They put you through just enough to, to see where you're at and build you up on, on your ability to take the suck for a while and then building the teamwork. Yeah. Like they, that process, if nothing else is going to force you to work as a team, whether you like guys or not. Yeah. And suck it up. Do you remember how many guys uh, you started with? We started with 119, I think it was. Do you remember how many graduated? We had 14 of the original guys and then uh, about another dozen or so roll-ins. Yeah. yeah. Did you make it straight through? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking wild, man. I was too dumb to quit or yeah. do anything else. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so that's kind of the basis of the comment. Like, do you think there's there's too much info out there? I think to a certain yeah. extent there is. is oh, that, yeah. You know, guy, like almost to where they psych themselves out, like they oh, know absolutely. every fucking thing that's coming. Shit, I had I had one class. It was we classed up in like October, so or up in Chicago. Yes, you know, so I had in October, and it wasn't chilly. It was like forty degrees or so out, and we went down to the beach, and we were gonna get in the water, and I had a guy day one. I said, "Okay, guys, online, start walking towards the water." They didn't get wet yet, and he like, "Nope, no shit, this is not for me." I'm like, "What? I'm like, <laughs> come over here, you know." Get over here and talk to me. What the hell's going on? You yeah. can't quit in day one, yeah. like the first hour of training. Yeah, it's like no man. The movies and videos didn't show any of this shit. No shit. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what the fuck were you watching? Yeah, well that, and then, dude, you know how hard it is to get there because you know you start with so many candidates to get those 1,200 contracts a year, knowing we're going to try to get through 200 guys through the training program. Yeah, like there's a lot of guys <clears throat> that really, really want to try this thing. Yeah. And you're just you took a spot from somebody that may never may never get another chance. Yeah, no, that's that's a yeah. fucking travesty. That, but yeah, I mean, back when I went through, it was like I didn't know any better. And by the time I realized what was going on, I was already like Wednesday of Hell Week, and I'm like, well, shit, yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I can't quit. I'm now. already I'm already with the, over the hump now. Yeah. I might as well keep on going. Yeah, I guess uh, did did anything in Hell Week surprise you? Uh, was anything harder than you thought, or easier than you thought? I don't know, because I mean, back then, by the time you got to Hell Week, you were just and it's still the same thing this day, today. You, know, you get up at five, you're going to run, you're going to get wet, you're going to work work your ass off all day. So hell, it really wasn't much different than that other than the longer, you know, the anticipation, you know, you're sitting there on Sunday, everybody's together, you're kind of nervous about what's going on until breakout happens. And then once breakout happens, you're just reacting. Yeah. You're just moving, you're hearing a bell ring, you're like, oh shit, that wasn't me, I'm going to keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. I was always motivated by hearing the bell ring, honestly. Oh, absolutely. You, like, you know, yeah, like, we fuck, had, I'm still here. Yeah, it was, who, uh, yeah. Somebody had a post the other day about. Does anybody remember the quitter? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I remember, I remember the one guy that yeah. thought he was a badass, and he <laughs> yeah. was like the first guy to quit, and yeah. then then he takes like five guys with him. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's an interesting thing, and I know you know I spent the last three years uh, as a as a buds instructor. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, so you and, know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 
to me, it was fascinating. What, honestly. Uh, what phase were you? Uh, I was in doc for, for most of the time. And then, uh, I jumped into first phase a little bit, yeah. um, and, and worked most of the hell weeks. But, uh, you know, to me, the, the, the fascinating part about it is, is just knowing like how much is on the line and, and seeing these guys, you know, you can see their mm-hmm. fucking hamster wheels turning and, and, you know, before they even quit, you can, oh, yeah. you can be like, well, that guy's fucking, you know, but yeah, it's, it's those guys already made up their mind. They were going to quit at some point. Yeah. They just didn't know when. Yeah. So you could see them going, you could see them turning like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's coming. It's yeah. I guess to, you know, to me, I just, what I found fascinating was the psychology behind it in knowing that mm-hmm. it's not like the army or, or really any other force that way where, you know, if you leave there, you'll still go do something kind of similar Oh yeah, you know. Whereas here, it's like, dude, it's night and fucking day yeah, different, you know. You it, know, but but you know, get, that still didn't keep guys from quitting, you know. Especially, you know, I was always dumbfounded when a guy had quit and be like, yeah, but I'm coming back. It's like coming back, motherfucker. You could still be in there, like. Oh shit! I mean, even like now, like when we went through, you could quit. Generally, you have a pretty good chance to come back if you want to screen again. If if you were mentally strong enough to really actually want to come back. Now with the numbers we're going and and how they're and how they're running the cycle. You may not get another chance. Oh no, shit. I mean, you only may only get one shot because, you know, if say our numbers for 2015, if those guys, if we maxed out on our 2015 year group, then we're not taking more 2015 guys. Oh wow, fuck man, I didn't know. Yeah, that. so I, 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 when I'm running Bud's prep, I'm like, hey, yes, everybody says you can come back in two years, and that's the the general rule of thumb. But if the rest of your class makes through, and we we hit our numbers. Yeah, there won't shit, be any I slots like, left. Yeah, yeah. Man, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, all right. So you make it through buds, uh, I'm assuming you went through betting jump school and then yeah. what was the, uh, the first team you went to? Well, I was lucky. So I was, I ended up being the honor man. Cause I outlasted all the other competitions. So I got to pick. And, <laughs> oh, no shit. Yeah. And, and that time it was just after, uh, Panama. So it was like, Oh man, you got to go to team four if you want to, yeah. if you want to get any action. So like, Hell yeah. Out. I'm going to, I'll go to <clears throat> seal team four. Yeah. Which is good. I'm glad I did. It was a lot of fun. But yeah. Went from there to, to betting jump school and beat your boots and all that run around and yeah. Try to play the game as best you can without getting too much trouble, and then yeah. then shipped up to Virginia Beach. In terms of going to Team Four at that time, so early mid nineties. Yeah, ninety. So I graduated buds in August of ninety three. Yeah. What was that uh, that check in process like? It was uh, a little odd because I, you know, still a brand new guy in the Navy, right? So I'm, I'm out there walking in. Check in the quarterback. I got my whites on. I got him. I'm trying to be as professional as I can. And you got, I don't remember who it was behind the deck, quarter deck. Somebody's like back there. Like, hey, I'm here to check in. And early 90s, you know, our SEAL teams were small. You yeah. know, there was probably 30 active duty SEALs or so there at the time. Most of those were already gone on trips. So there was like nobody around. They're like, okay, hey, go here. And the first person I run into is the command master chief. And I've got no clue. I just see a trident and master chief bars. And he just lights my ass up. It's like, what in the hell are you doing? I'm like, sorry, Master Chief, I'm a new check-in. He's like, fuck the hell you are. He's, he's dropping me down. I'm not, I don't know any better. I'm like, I'm right out of buds. I'm, I'm doing what I'm told. But yeah, he, he was funny. He fucked with me for about 15 minutes and then uh, then pulled me in his office and gave me his expectations of what it is to be a SEAL, SEAL Team 4 and what it would look like in the process. And yeah, he gave me the rundown right off the bat. And then I met you know, the rest of the guys after that. So yeah. What, uh, was there, was there hazing pretty significant at that time? I know, I mean, when I checked in, it, it was, was hazing, but I mean, it's, you know, it's such a, a four letter word these days, but yeah. you know, that's kind of a rite of passage. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad I got the 
experience that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right. I think it should, yeah. it should still be there. Yeah, so we went through, you know, at that point, SQT and everything was still at the teams, or ST, STT, we called it. So we joined up with Team 2 guys, Team 4 guys, and went through STT, did that, and then then you did a Trident board after that before, yeah. you, before you jumped in your first platoon. Yeah. But I didn't get my hazing until first platoon. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. the same, same type of pipeline. Uh, is there a hazing story that stands out as being the, the worst? I, well, I mean, my hazing session was, it sucked, but I'm glad I, it was fun to be part of. Just like getting taped yeah, up or what? Yeah, platoon guys taped me up and, you know, putting a noose on a cock and all that stuff. And, <laughs> you know, just the shit that you do, you know, yeah. booze and. It was, did you have any, uh, any mini blast machine or, uh, or Tabasco yeah, yeah, sauce? Yeah, yeah. 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 All, yeah, all the above. All that shit. Uh, I had the, the luck, I guess I had the pleasure of having a lot of still brand new guys that had done yeah. one platoon they yeah. were my second or my first platoon was their second yeah so they were uh making sure that they got their <laughs> their, their bit of me uh, but it was good i mean yeah. it's like no it's, it's a bonding sh- process right just like oh for sure just like is. hell week and everything yeah. else it's that that crucible of going yeah. through life of hey yeah. now I, I took the next step yeah i mean to me the other thing too is it's it's one it's a rite of passage and a good mm-hmm. bonding tool but it's also that the other side of that coin is it's a hell of a remediation tactic also yeah i mean if, you, if you're fucked up then, yeah I yeah mean, that's a it's a great way to straight the ship out yeah because I, w- without being able to do that i mean to me that the the threat and and knowing and the understanding of that happening and and how severe it, it may be uh keeps a lot of fucking people between the lines you know and mm-hmm. i think that's one of the most severely lacking components of well, our society I, now is, is oh, not absolutely. being able to and, and you're able to right the ship quickly yeah you know, if the guy gets out of line like boom yeah. smack him down a little bit and he's back in line there's it's yeah. no well we got to document it yeah. we got documented again document again yeah. by the time by the time you get to the point where you can actually fire a guy or do something it's, yeah. it's too late at that yeah. point you lost him yeah uh so you sp- how many were you there for at team four for what four years uh yeah just uh, five years so five. i did uh 93 to 98 did two south america panama deployments yeah yeah pre-9-11 so it was a uh, go down do the fed mission the, the mtt stuff with with our partner forces and it was great for you know nineteen twenty year old kid. Yeah, I learned a lot from from those guys. Yeah, and the uh, I mean, was there any counter narc stuff that you guys were a part of, or was it pretty? Not too much. I didn't get I didn't get involved with it. Some of the Team Four guys were were in that area, but yeah, I, I did uh, pretty much all of my tr- deployments for all FID mission stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and for those of you listening, the FID is Foreign Internal oh, yeah. Defense, or basically just training with uh, with the host nation forces and things of that nature yeah sorry i got relapsed into my yeah. military jargon no, it's, it's easy to <laughs> I, I do it all the time but yeah um all right so after team four is, is that when you decided to screen and go to dev group or uh even at that point i did so, so when i screened i had no clue what dev group was even though my first two platoon chiefs came from there they didn't really talk about it didn't really say anything about it they they just reminded me like hey if you want to take the next step and stay in this is you should at least screen for it yeah and I didn't know anything about it and you know my my fiance or my girlfriend at the time now my wife she's like well I'm staying in Virginia Beach so you, if you get out and <laughs> I'm staying here so I'm like, oh, I guess I'll I guess I'll sign up and screen for this thing and screen positive and I was supposed to go in '99 and then uh, the other guy that screened for '98 got hurt so I took his spot '98 and went over to green team in 98 what uh if you can shed some light on green team in terms of how it how it compares to buds i know they're two totally different uh courses but but for the listener i think a lot of times people are confused or or just they don't have a a deep understanding of how significant and difficult going through green team is yeah so i get is if i was going to compare it so buds would be your 
selection course do I have? Does this student or candidate have the mental and physical capacity to be a SEAL? That's really all they're screening up. Like, okay, he's strong enough to get through Hell Week, and now we're going to train him and see if he's smart enough to do the job. Then you go to your team, you learn how to do the job, and then what green team is kind of that next selection. It's like, okay, he can do the job. Can he do it well enough to work to this next level? Yeah. And that's it's, at that point, it was another six-month screening process, you know, jumping and scuba diving, you know, all the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. It was just like the advanced varsity level type yeah. stuff. Yeah. One of the things that, that it seems to me, I guess, having not not been there, uh, but knowing, you know, quite a few guys that win, is that I one thing I was surprised, and I'd love for you to shed some light on. Sure is, you know, some guys that I knew that, that, you know, did multiple platoons with and, and didn't, I didn't have the highest opinion of them, uh, nor did, did a lot of people at the command, but the, you know, again, pre nine 11, some of them went over there, uh, and did fairly well, you know, they, or they at least made it. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and other guys that, that, you know, again, after having spent some, you know, a few years with them more than just walking past them in a fucking locker room you're, yeah. you're legitimately working with a guy for a few years that goes over there that you think is pretty fucking squared away that doesn't make it if you could shed some light on that in conjunction with uh how big if any a a role in terms of politics playing uh in your ability to make it through their plays uh i would say politics are very little i mean you'll have some some personality conflicts and i had a couple of those with uh, my green team class good dudes that just they had friction with the cadre staff so it just it kind of kind of came to a point boiling point that he made enough little mistakes that it added up to, to get him rid of but these days it's it's pretty cut and dried you know there's their standards here's what we're looking for we're trying to keep as many guys as we can because we got a mission to, to to do for the country and we need as many guys as we can so we're not trying to get rid of guys for any reason yeah unless there's a character integrity or safety issue but yeah, ninety percent of the seals, if they would screen, they could make it through green team. I think you yeah. know, most of the guys have the the capacity to do it. Yeah, you know, whether or not they have the drive to do it, or you know, life situation lets them go, and, and you know, all that kind of stuff that goes on the backside that nobody really pays attention to. Yeah, yeah. To me, um, you know, green. Does that answer your question a little bit? I'm no, for sure. Kind of random. Yeah. No, I mean, it, well, you know, again, just in in thinking of you know knowing a few guys that have gone there and some of them i, I had a pretty high opinion of yeah. and some some not didn't seem to correlate with the guys that made it through versus the guys that didn't at least across the board i mean uh, i would say largely it did but there were there were enough examples of either guys i went through training with or or were at team three with and i you know i look at them like you know, 10 years later, I'm like, how the fuck is this guy? Like he was a bonehead yeah. and, you know, back when I knew, you know, so I don't know. I think, I mean, cause I went, I was, I was one of the young guys, you know, my nickname was baby cause I was the youngest guy in green team and, and everybody along. So I, I matured a lot during green team. Yeah. So I think that's probably a standard for a lot of guys that meet, meet the expectations at one of the, one of the other steel teams and going now they're stepping up. You know, now they're put in a position where they've got to make themselves better yeah. and they're with, more, I don't want to say cream of the crop because there's a lot of great guys out there, but they're at that next level, so they've yeah. got to step up. They can't slip up and kind of keep up with the train. Yeah. So that kind of brings the best out of of everybody because it's a competition. You know, yeah. regardless of, of what anybody says, it's always a competition. You're always getting judged. Everybody's always watching. Yeah. Because at the end of the green team, then there's the the draft on who goes to what squadrons. How does that work? It well these days it kind of boils down to who needs who needs guys and, yeah. and what kind of guys or you know, what skill sets they need. And they kind of draft off and go from there. You know, yeah. the, you know, the, everybody running the green team is from one of the squadrons. So they know the personality, who's going to fit with with their squadron, who's not going to fit with the squadron. So it kind of 
kind of comes down to a shuffling game along those lines. Yeah. When, when you were in that position, was it uh, were guys buying to get you for a specific reason, or did you just? Kind no, of... I think I I was probably at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I mean, I made it through. Made it yeah, through. I made it through, and I didn't screw anything up as far as I know, and I never got in trouble. And I was yeah. one of the gray guys, yeah. gray men. Yeah. What? Uh, where did you end up going? I ended up going to the Gold Squadron. Yeah. yeah. And, and were you there the whole the whole time, or I did? Uh, what did I do? Six or seven years in Gold Squadron, and then uh, did some training time, then the Black Squadron. Then the snipers, and then back to Blackwater, and it's kind of bounced around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your your time at at the, at the squadron, if you could kind of walk yeah. us through what what that experience is like when you you know you've done some time in a regular SEAL team, you go through green team, you get picked up. Now you're in a squadron. What talk, talk it us was it was eye opening because at this point I'd already had five years in the teams, done a couple of deployments, knew I could do the job, and made it through green team again. You know, didn't really screw up, and just one of the guys in green team. But when you step into that squadron and you hit the house for the first time, it's like, oh, my fucking God. Yeah. This is fucking fast, and I have no clue what they're doing. I'm just going to try to try to keep up with the back of the train and keep my eyes open as much as I can to learn. Yeah. Because now you're, like, training, training, training is to a level, and then now, now I'm stepping right into the big leagues. Yeah. And I kind of think they all, always set it up this way, too, because, you know, looking on the back when we had new guys, we already run the house a bunch of times before the new guys showed up. So you kind of knew the scenario. Yeah. They already know what's going on. So I think it's almost like a, the old guys at the time, because like, you know, some of the, some of the renowned guys in gold team at that time. And I think they set it up like, we're just going to fucking blow their socks off. Yeah. So they're like, Holy put shit. them in their place right away. Yeah. yeah. Cause all, you know, everybody that came up with the green team with me, they're all like, Holy fuck. Yeah. What, uh, in terms of kind of your, your impression of that, did, did you feel that same way? And, and from there, like, you know, what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, I thought so. I was like, holy shit, what, you know, what did I step into? Yeah. Like, we just stepped it up like 10 notches from where I was at. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, once you start in there, after a couple weeks, it starts slowing, you know, everything slows down because you're starting to see a bigger picture. Yeah. You can see the, see the mindset and see what's going on. You can hear the communications now because before, I mean, you're not hearing shit. You know, yeah. guys are making calls. They're just running and shooting. Shit's blowing up. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. But, yeah, after that, after you do a few runs and start slowing down and then that process goes through your head, you understand, you know how to do CQB, you know how to prosecute a house and a target and everything else. Now, now you're opening your eyes. And these guys, I mean, even in, even as a brand new guy, they're letting me run the hall. They're like, hey, you're you're up front, run the hall. Yeah. You're like, you're part of the squadron. Yeah. Like, do your job. What uh, what What is the standard in terms of uh, grouping and, and not shooting a hostage? I mean, it's pretty stringent. Like, Yeah, yeah, don't miss. I mean, yeah. I mean, what like is there a, a three by five card standard or what? It's uh, yeah, we we'll do drills like that with with shot placement type stuff. But if we're doing house runs, it's keep them in the body, in the body and head. Yeah. Don't, don't shoot any hostages. And yeah. if you do, I mean, what uh, let, let's say well, it's pretty significant. If you shoot a hostage on a on a driver, at least in the late nineties when I went through before nine eleven, you know, our the National Mission Force Step Group, it was hostage rescue that's what we're there for we're there in case something happens and the balloon goes up we got four hours to react and, and go save the world so we train heavily on fast CQB, put ourselves at risk get the hostage and, and take them home so if we if we shot something that wasn't a bad guy it was pretty stringent you yeah. know the guys you know you get your ass and hand it to you i mean like uh, if it happens twice you're kicked out kind of thing or uh, i don't know if there's a specific number on it because it, you know you kind of weigh everything yeah you know, like, but uh, yeah, if, if you repeatedly mess up, you are going to be carrying the heavy shit. Yeah, like you're grab a sledge, and <coughs> don't touch a fucking gun. Yeah, 
without getting into the the actual tactics um yeah. how big a difference was there tactically between uh, what you'd done at SEAL Team 4 CQB-wise and now what you were doing at uh, Dev Group? Uh, it, at that time in the 90s, probably the biggest aspect would be the speed. Yeah. The speed and the complexity of the targets. Because yeah. now we're using, I mean, we did explosions and, you know, explosive stuff at Breaching and whatnot at, at Team 4, but it wasn't like a, every single run. You know, at Damnick, you run through, people are blowing shit in the hole and you're walking past. You, you know, you got to keep your head on swivel because there's no slowing down. Yeah. You know, if, hey, this door's locked, breachers, you take that, we're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and probably the speed and the complexity were the, were the biggest, yeah. biggest changes. Um, in terms of, of 9-11, when that hit and where you were at, I, I mean, I'm mm. assuming timeline-wise you were bright and balls yeah. deep in fucking Yeah, we were, uh, we were actually on standby. So September 10th, we went and did uh, backseat rides with F-18 guys across the road. Next morning we come in. I was in the sniper shack at this point after doing a few years in the in the salt side, just doing our doing our daily workout. You know, over there lifting weights in the gym, and guys come in and like, hey, come on back over to the the recce shack. Something's going on. By the time we walked in the recce shack, the second plane hit. Beepers going off, phones going off. It's like shit. Did, you know, something's going on. Yeah, yeah. So I was right there on standby, on call. What what was the the next few days, few weeks like for you at that it, point? I mean, we were just turning and burning. You know, bags already packed because we're on standby. You know, cleaning guns, double checking batteries, double checking everything because we had no clue what the nation was going to ask us to do. You know, everybody had a big question mark at this point. Yeah. So it was about a week or so like that, and then uh, you know we spun up some guys to go do some AFO, you know, forward mission stuff. Yeah, you know, everybody heard like the horse soldiers and stuff. We sent some guys over uh, silver type scenarios. And then uh, one of the other squadrons got on call, and they went forward, deployed to the ship for a little bit. And since we were at the end of standby at this point, we did uh, we did the Bosnia mission, and for the next one. And, and so, what what when was your was your next deployment that you actually went on to Afghanistan after that? Uh, so my first one right after that standpoint, or nine uh, eleven, and and being on standby during nine eleven, we did uh, the Bosnia. So, I mean, I guess after after that one. Yeah. So after Bosnia, I went to my first. Afghanistan point was July of '02. Okay, what uh, what was that like? I mean, it's pretty early on. It was, and it was still still a lot of question marks of like, what's our mission set? Who are we going after? I mean, we had this whole I think we were TF five TAC two or something. Was we like the top five guys, and there were two others. If these guys pop, we're going after them. Anything outside of that, we're not messing with because we're you know we're the national mission force. This is what we're here for. Mm -hmm. we were at this point, we were trading with Green. You know, Green to do appointment, and we would do appointment kind of back to back. For those of you listening, green meaning army, right? Yeah, the army, yeah. Our army counterparts. Yeah. Then that kind of loosened up over the over the course of the first month or so, and then recce guys got out to start doing some missions, and then we had a couple targets pop up right on the border, so recce guys started hitting mountains and hiking a lot. How how vividly do you remember your first real-world no-shit post-9-11 mission in Afghanistan? Probably the first, first one that really kind of – dug down would be some of those mountain ops in the side because i mean we flew in on dry holes and stuff you know the first one you take off while you're riding the helicopter we're snipers we're hanging out the side of the, of the 60s going in you know your fucking balls are up your ass because you're like fuck you know this is legit yeah because at that point in july we'd already lost all the guys on roberts ridge so we knew the consequences of combat you know there was no fairy tales hey we're gonna fly in save the day it's like hey guys could die yeah so you know, I had you know, we were pretty tight tuckered puckered up going into that first one, but then we had a couple of dry holes, a couple of dry <clears> holes. 
the point, it's kind of like a good dirt dive. Like, okay, hey, check it off. Yeah. No big deal. Hey, we trained much harder scenarios than this. So that was, but then, you know, doing those mountain missions, that was completely different. Even being a sniper recce guy, we had no clue gear-wise what we needed. Like that first one we hiked up, we were planning on, you know, we drive to the base of the, you know, in the Hindu Kush. So we're, you know, 10, 12, 14,000 foot peaks. Drive up to the base of the mountain and start climbing. And like, wow, this should only take us a few hours, it's, you know, a few thousand feet, no big deal. Two days later. Yeah, it took us no shit a day and a half to get up to the top. God damn. Yeah, we're, we're hiking shit. Like, we got radios and computers and extra batteries and guns. And I had my wind mag with me because, you know, we, we were supposed to take this guy out if we could get him. My ruck probably weighed 90 pounds. Yeah. With with water and a little bit of food. Yeah. At 14,000. Yeah. And just, yeah. No clue. I mean, it's like just yeah. taking baby steps three yeah. inches up at a time, like yeah. one step up, take a break, one step up, take yeah. a break. So once you guys uh, summited that and were where you were supposed to be, did you guys engage anybody? Oh, <laughs> uh, we should have. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Yeah. So yeah, so that first <laughs> first night we got up to the very top of the mountain, and then uh, we still had a couple mile about a mile or so to go to get over there. So we. We end, which would be or ROD'd, which would be a rest over the day for for the guys listening in. So we, it's a weird thing to. I mean, up on a very tip top of this mountain, we're in the clouds and it was a fucking little rainforest. It was probably two hundred acres total, just a little rainforest with all these trees and it was wet and clouds. Wow. So we were camped out in there and well, we had there was that's another story we we'll cover that later. But it's fucking weird ass monkeys coming around and just like. <laughs> More sure if you were That's seeing things or it's like yeah. just like fucking three foot tall orange, some, orange fucking monkeys running around. You're like, what the yeah. fuck is going on here? That's for sure some shit that yeah. uh, I think most people would never expect exists no, at no. that elevation in Afghanistan. Yeah, at this point, we'd already had our asses handed to us for like 10 hours. I'm like, yeah. I, I could hear shit moving around. Am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? Or yeah. like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. So then that next, that next period of darkness, we moved over to where we were supposed to be. First thing in the morning, here's the guy that we're looking for. We think he is making his phone call on top of the mountain because he, he would come up from one side on Pakistan, which we couldn't go to and make his phone call. And we were waiting for the VID from our, you know, our friends up in Washington because we were supposed to either capture him if we could for the Intel side or, you know, eliminate him if we had to. And we couldn't get a call, you know, we're like, Hey, we're watching him. He's on the phone. Is this our guy? Is this our guy? You know, give us an answer. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Never got an answer. Never got an answer. And then eventually the clouds came in and we lost him. Couldn't find him anymore. Spent three more days up there looking for him, looking for him, out of water, out of food. You know, the typical, you know, suck it up mission and you know, work our way back. So we chased him in those mountains for 21 days out of 30. Jesus. Yeah, up and down, up and down, up and down. And finally, well, we got a helicopter ride out on the last one because we had a, uh, 
uh, the ghost sighting of Bin Laden, you know, six foot guy in a white robe on the side of a mountain somewhere. So yeah. they flew in to look for him and we, we did overwatch and then they picked us up on the way home. But yeah, yeah, come to find out later on that that was our guy, but they didn't want to tell us because they would rather take credit for the intel they were getting from the phone call advice, us wrapping them up. That's yeah. fucked up. Yeah, that was O2. You know, everybody's like, this yeah. is my rice bowl. I want credit for it. And yeah. yeah, we don't have those issues anymore as much, but yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what was the temperature like up there? It was fucking cold. Yeah. I mean, it was September. So in the valley in Sadabad, where we were based out of when we were on base, it was shit, 100 degrees at, at camp. Yeah. No wind. There's sun beating down in here. Up top there, it would sleet and hail on us. Yeah, that's how we got water. We'd lay our ponchos out, and when a passing cloud would come through, we'd gather up as much sleet as we could and melt it down and make a little bit of water. So sit on it and put it in between your thighs? Yeah, yeah. God, that's a trip. Um, yeah, this is a weird place up there. I mean, yeah. awesome. You know, if you got rid of the, the shitty people, it was, it was fucking beautiful, yeah. beautiful country. Yeah. Uh, so did that kind of round out that deployment? Was just yeah. chasing that? Yeah, we did that through most of September. Chased uh, chased another ghost sightings of Bin Laden a couple times. Crashed a couple of helicopters and packed it up and went home. Were the uh, were the helo crashes uh, fatal at all? No, no. Uh, they were because the well, the, the valleys up there are so fucking steep. On, on that mission, we were trying to get in on, we were trying to drop some guys right on top of a rooftop. And as a hill was coming down, they're lower down, lower down, they just hit the rotor tips on okay. on the sides, on the trees yeah. and stuff on the side. So they had to end up setting it down. Guys are fine. Hard landing, but nobody got hurt. And then yeah. had to fly back up the next day to recover the, the, yeah. the 60. Well, uh, so after that deployment, you go home. And, and one thing that I think, uh, I, I really think is awesome about uh, dev group in terms of how they structure uh, you know deployments versus not or whatever is, is shorter but yeah. more often you know I think yeah. that makes way more sense but uh, so when you came back from that one um, was there a sense of, of like okay we got that under our belt like now going back we know what to kind of plan for and look forward to and, and whatever or? yeah I think so and then uh, the other nice thing about like being in a recce shack at that time it was a literal shack it was just a small small building in the backside of the compound that all the squadron sniper guys were hanging out in. So as the red guys were overseas, they're passing information back like, hey, this gear works, this gear doesn't work. Here's the tactics we're using right now. So we would have that constant feedback loop of, from the different recce guys. So we knew kind of what we were walking into to a degree. And then as we're learning those lessons and giving those after action reports, we're sending right back to the guys so they know. That's good. Before they even get over there, like, okay, here's the latest and greatest. You know, here's yeah. the routes we did. Here's where we've been working out. Here's some of the target packages. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the group, if you can say it, uh, mm-hmm. about how many of, of you were there chasing that fucking guy? Oh, there was, well, six snipers, and then we had a EOD guy with us and a CCD guy with us. So just 80. Yeah. I mean, to me, that that's not that I got to tell you. I mean, it seems like that's hanging it out there pretty yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, this is prior to Red Wings and everything else when, you know, the guys, the Taliban guys weren't that emboldened. So we had some locals kind of walk through our area and see it. I mean, they, it would be fucking everywhere up there. Yeah. You'd think you'd be in the middle of nowhere. And the next <laughs> thing you know, there's a wife, there's a, some mom with bare feet with carrying a kid on her back climbing yeah. up at 12,000 feet for no apparent reason yeah. at all. Were any of them hot? No. No, no, no. Not at that fucking elevation, no, right? No, We did get a kid to bring us some bread, though. We were out of food on one of them, like... <laughs> Like here's here's a hundred dollars to bring us some food. Yeah, no so he brought us, yeah, he brought us some foot bread. Hundred bucks. Yeah, hung that's out there. And, that's fucking funny. Um, all right, so the the next deployment then, what uh, what was that like? Yeah, so we came back from that first Afghanistan in October. Turned right around, and at this point, Iraq was kind of getting spun up a little bit, and we were we were right on call for that. So we we pushed back out to to Iraq in March, early March. Went 
forward staged for uh, probably about a week or two before it got kicked off. And so uh, yes, I'm we assuming were, that was the Jessica Lynch uh, deployment, right? Yeah, yeah. So we were the first ones there. We did a bunch of the ChemBio stuff right off the bat. And then, yeah, then and we got a report that some Americans were missing. And we went, uh, it was five of us, four or five of us, sniper guys, to go forward stage to, to us, uh, Nasseria, link up with some Marine guys there and see what we can find out. Started interviewing people and looking around and driving around. And it was funny, I was listening to, uh, Andy Stump, he he did a he did a podcast with with Jessica. Yeah, I listened to that because I was intimately there, and, and she was recounting stuff and where she was talking about being. For you know, any of your listeners that listen to that or go listen to it, she was talking about being in a building by herself for like twenty four hours. It was dark; she didn't know where she was. Well, I sent Andy those pictures. I'm like, I know exactly what building that was. We drove by because we had a report that there might have been something there. Took pictures of it outside, didn't see any kind of action going on there, so we never never went inside. If we would have, she would. She was there. No shit. Yeah, like hundred yards away. Fucking close. Yeah. Well, was, yeah. So interestingly, small world. Uh, I was I was there uh, in Nazaria at the same time uh, with SEAL Team Three uh, Golf slash Echo Platoon. We started out as Golf and ended up as Echo. So we yeah. used the the GE symbol as our yeah. platoon patch. But uh, we we were there. Like I want to say it was probably probably a couple of miles from where the hospital was, but. We were with the 15th Marine Expeditionary yeah. Unit. And, uh, Those guys are awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, in fact, I, I don't know if you, it may have been you. I, I don't even remember. But I do remember there were some gold team guys. Yeah, that was us. Walking through that, that little camp. That was yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So we got the howitzers going off. Yeah, and, so we actually probably met then. then. Yeah, we might have. Yeah, yeah. We were just sleeping on the ground. It was awesome because yeah. we landed in Nasseria, got off the airplane, you know, see what the retakes off, and there's like nobody there. Yeah. Like, where the fuck's I ride at? You know, we're supposed to meet people. <laughs> And happened to find, you know, like Marine guys were there picking yeah. up some people or whatever. So we jumped on the back of the six by and, you know, guys check my IG. There's like just dirty fucking bastards right in the back of a six by out to the middle of the desert. And that's a trip. we climb off that. And the first pe- person we talked to is man, one star general. Yeah. He's out there in the dirt with his guys yeah. living off MREs, sleeping on the ground and just fucking having a time of his life. Just yeah. fucking launching howitzers and everything else is awesome. That's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah, really cool. Those Marine guys are awesome. Yeah. Well, in the, uh, I want to say it was the was it the second ranger battalion was there too? Yeah, I think, yeah. When you, yeah, so we came in for about a week, interviewed some stuff, got some information, then went back, did another mission up in uh, by the lake, then came back and had some follow on from the doctor. You know, got some some more information. So knew she was probably in a hospital. Got some got some better intel. Wired him up with a camera. Got some good good camera video of what was going on. Confirmed that was her. And then we came back in. We had yeah rangers with us and just a big big package for for what it ended up being but yeah what you don't know what's that but we didn't know right yeah going in all the reports were a lot of fighters and everything else and we probably kind of scared them away with our presence yeah what uh, can you walk us through the the actual fucking rescue operation as to how it went yeah like from my side so we we weren't too far from their airfield that we staged out of and we had you know the entire squadron there had ranger bat there marine guys were there so we had the marines kind of cordon off the bigger general area you know, the night before, you know, they, they would kind of push up their forward lines. And then we flew in the night. Uh, Salters land on the bottom. We land on top with snipers, provide overwatch. And they came in from the bottom and cleared out pretty well. I mean, nobody on target that besides the hospital staff, I think we kind of ran everybody out of there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, then brought the Rangers in. And the good thing, from our vantage point on the rooftop, you know, looking over as the Marines or the Rangers were coming in, we could see – 
you know, obviously some bodies buried, you know, you know, freshly dug up grave sites. And they almost ran over with their, with their, uh, strikers. So we get them on, the, we get them on the hall, we're, you know, lasering, looping where the, where the bodies were and we were able to pull not just Jessica back, but you know, all those bodies as well, recovered everybody else. And that, that was the group of guys that she was with. Yeah. All her, her friends and teammates there. Yeah. That's a fucking trip. Have you yeah. uh, been in contact with her at all? Since? I haven't. I know. No, I haven't. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy story. And I, you know, again, I remember being being right there when yeah. it happened. I mean, we could we could see fucking little birds going in, and yeah. you, you could yeah. hear it. I mean, it was it was pretty. Yeah, neat put the me. put the little birds down in the courtyard with his halters and and us up on the roof. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was fast. Sure. I mean, we did a good job. You know, yeah. we went in and cleaned it up, and you know, there, there was obviously when we found signs that there was fighters there and you know radios and there was at the bottom in the basement there was a like a, for lack of a better term a big sandbox of like Nasseria yeah. where shit was at was was there any resistance like with the rangers or or you guys at all there was like outside of town uh i think i think the guys ran into a little bit of resistance as they're rolling in with the vehicles but i think the marines did a pretty good job of keeping a fight on the other side of the town yeah cuz they they were pushed over to the uh i guess it would be the far east side of town had some engagements over there. So I think they drew a lot of the fighters away from, from that. Yeah. So we were able to slide in there and, you know, we were prepared for the worst, but yeah, it turned out to be pretty low key. Yeah. It's that's a hell of a fucking story. I know the, yeah. uh, what, what all she went through in, in her unit oh, yeah. at that point yeah. was, uh, was pretty fucking brutal. But, uh, what was the rest of that deployment like? Uh, it was good. I mean, we did, uh, we were there through May, did a lot of, a lot of, a lot of missions, you know, not a lot of firefights, but did a lot of missions. And my uh, 30th birthday there, which was a kind of interesting story. So we, uh, at this point, we were probably, well, this is April 23rd. So we'd already done Jessica Lynch. We had moved into buyout. You know, we were the first team with the region land there and come flying in and getting shot at with surface air missiles and everything else. And you're stuck in the back of a C-130 <laughs> with pallets and, you know, a couple hundred Rangers and you can't do shit about it, which is kind of unnerving to a degree. You're just you're just waiting to either die or land one of the two. Yeah. So we land and and get dumped out the back of the C-130, and again nobody there. You know, it's supposed to be our our friends from the agency were supposed to be there to receive us, and there's <laughs> nobody. So uh, so we moved into a hangar, stole some cars, and started working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fucking great. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Similar story. We we ended up stealing a Humvee from the Air Force because we only had three. Mm-hmm. And we needed four before we went up into Nazaria for yeah. that. But uh, what what kind of cars were they? Oh, rental cars, just yeah. straight out of the road <laughs> you know, on the on the other side of the commercial airport. Took every car we could, and we had stole some trucks with guns in the back of them. Yeah. And luckily, we had some orange cars <clears throat> or uh, you know the big orange flaggings to put on the top of these trucks because they had anti aircraft truck or yeah. guns in the back. And like, well, we're gonna get our gear there. We may get shot with some fucking yeah. some J dams or something. But <laughs> so that was your thirtieth birthday. So my thirtieth birthday or. Yeah, my 30th birthday, we were uh, chasing one of the deck of cards guys in town. Uh, so myself and my buddy Jeff, big country guy, we're in one of these rental cars, just daylight, kind of just doing our doing our mission, trying to trying to find this guy. We knew where he was. We were following one of his, for lack of a better term, one of his soldiers around, and they started just hauling ass. They would just fly around the corner, fly around the corner, up around the block, just hauling ass. We just parked like. Obviously, they know something's going on. So we just parked and we're sitting there on a call. You know, Jeff's on a radio. He's on a computer, you know, typing up what's going on. And luckily, I left the car running. Hopefully, my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, as we're, as we're sitting there, 
I hear a knock at the window and I turn and this Iraqi's got a fucking 1911 potent in my head. No shit. Yeah, he's like, you know, in his, you know, Farsi or whatever, Persian, you know, he's like basically telling me to get out of the car. So we're like, okay, hey, hold on. Hey, you can have the car. I don't care. So, and, and I open the door and he sees my M4 and my body armor and all this stuff. And he's like, and his eyes light up. It's like, oh shit. I'm trying to steal a car from the wrong guy. Yeah. And that gave me enough of an opportunity where he was distracted. So I threw the car in gear and we whipped up about 20 yards, spun around and him and his buddy run away and got back there and take care of business. But, uh, yeah, that was my 30th birthday. What was there? Did a, a part of you want to just fucking smoke him for doing it, or what was? Oh, we, we took care of the problem. Oh, okay. yeah, he, he's not doing that to anybody else. <laughs> but I mean, so it, it turned out to be he's just a street thug. Him and yeah. his buddy saw a car with a license plate that we got from our friends that was not associated with what it should be. Yeah. yeah so he, he saw the license plate, saw the car, knew it was a stolen car. Yeah. So they're gonna go steal a stolen car, and didn't really turn out too well yeah. for him. <laughs> but then, but the funny thing is, so we're like. So at this time we're dealing with this. So we call contact. We're like, hey, we got contact troops in contact. Our other guys are about two miles away down around the block. They're hitting the target. You know, wrapping this guy up and you know, touchdown on that one. Good, good target on that one. So we're like, hey, we got this body. We're, they're like, what the fuck do you mean you got a body? Like, <laughs> yeah, we just, hey, we had a contact. We got a body. What is do with it? Like, we'll bring him back. So we shove him in the damn trunk. It's driving back to the base. Story. Yeah, yeah, it's, it kind of is. Driving back to base and we go to the talk. We're like. Well, what do you, you know, what do you want us to do with this thing? Like, fuck, we don't want them. You told me to bring the goddamn thing back. <laughs> so they're like, well, take them over to the other side of the base to the agency guys. Yeah. Give them to them. So we drive over there and like, Christ. what do you guys want to do? They're like, we don't want that fucking body. I'm like, well, I'm not taking them back over there. So we just pull them out of the trunk and said, hey, have a good time. God damn. I yeah. mean, I guess what, what, uh, what's the reason for not just leaving them there? It, it was early enough in the war they didn't know what they had. They yeah. just knew we had troop in contact, so they were going to do bio on them and, and okay. everything else. And we got back, and the story kind of unfolded, and they're like, fuck, we don't want them. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't want them either. It fucking stinks. Yeah. God damn. What, uh, <laughs> during that deployment, was that kind of the, the majority of the of the type of operations? You, you were still doing a lot of Overwatch stuff, or was it kind of just a hodgepodge? It was a hodgepodge. I mean, we'd do, one night would be a chem bio lab. Next night would be a... Go hit a guy on a deck of cards. You know, we, I think on that deployment, we pulled the guy from uh, the Achille Lara. We grabbed him. That might have been that same guy. But uh, yeah, just like whatever mission came, we were going after it. Yeah. Yeah, because our green guys, they we flew in a biop and they went across land to hit targets. So yeah. we kind of had to run to the show for a little while. Uh, were there any good uh, deck of cards missions that uh, that were successful? And, I mean, yeah, we pulled some, pulled some high-level guys out and nothing really got too sexy or crazy. What uh, can you share? Say say one of them that that uh, stands out. It's probably the, yeah. I think the uh, the guy that was responsible for the Achilles Lara. I think he was one of those deck of cards guys. So it was nice because he had killed some guys. You know, you know if you remember, uh, oh, Steedham, yeah. Ken. I think it's Ken Steedham. Yeah. His brother was killed on that. Yeah. So it was nice to kind of get some uh, <clears throat> fucking payback. Yeah, a little bit of payback. I mean, we didn't kill him, but we still wrapped him up. Yeah, he yeah, was a bad guy. What uh, what was the premise of uh, of how that op went down? He was, he was on target list. We had some intel where he was probably at. He was, uh, at that point, I think he was doing some intel or something for Saddam. So he made the list, and he was one of the few guys that popped up, so we went and got him. Is there a, can you share kind of how that went down, or is that? Uh... that I want to say, you know, my memory's not as good as it used to be, but I, I think that was the guy they were wrapping up as I was getting the 45 in my brain. I got you. Yeah. Uh, for the rest of that deployment, so it was kind of all over the place, uh, yeah. were, were there any other 
<clears throat> other missions. I know you said none of them were super sexy, but that uh, that anything of note kind of took place. Well, I mean, probably the uh, at the very beginning, the uh, the first probably five or six missions we went on, we got shot up every time when the helicopters coming in. So we got we had eleven gas tanks and. Every single one of them had holes in them. Oh, shit. By the time with the 47, by the time we flipped them through and then yeah, going into one of them, uh, our crew chief got shot. Oh, got really? shot in the head. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He shot, you know, guys got, guys stayed on and, and saved him, which is good. But did yeah. he recover or is he fucked yeah. up? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, so you, so you wrap up that. Yeah. Sean, uh, so Sean, he was here. He, he was on that aircraft. Oh, no shit. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Uh, was he on the same squadron? Yeah. 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 He was in gold with me. Um, so when you wrap that deployment up, you go back, and then at that point, was was the focus more on Afghanistan or? It was, yeah. So we were kind of the, that was 03. At that point, Army's like, hey, we'll take Iraq. You guys have Afghanistan. Cause, you know, kind of pulled rank a little, little bit. Yeah, so went back that, and then right after that deployment, I had my first kid. So we went right into, we had another another deployment lined up. I did half of that one because I had brand new kids. So we just kind of split that one in half. Yeah. Yeah, I was Iraq for a couple more, uh, Afghanistan for a couple more deployments, and then I did another another Iraq back in 07, which is my last deployment with gold. Yeah. From uh, from the deployments that you did going to, we'll say go back to Afghanistan, uh, were those all similar? Were they were they totally different? Or what, what they were, were they? Yeah, I mean, those 03, 04, 05 deployments, 05, late 05, started to get sexy again, but like 03, 04, it was just slow. Like, yeah. Presence patrols go be out the outstations, just try to find something, some kind of work. Because Afghanistan was pretty quiet. Yeah, there was Taliban guys there, and they would you know, do some IEDs, but not like they did. You know, after you know, ISIS guys and Al Qaeda guys kind of ramped up the ID factory in, in Iraq, yeah. and then pushed that over to Afghanistan. Yeah. So then that started getting really heated up in Afghanistan. So like 05, it really started getting hot again over there. What what did that consist of once once it picked back up? What were you guys uh, doing? A lot of DAs, a lot of DAs, a lot of, <clears throat> lot, of you know, a lot of air mission stuff to to drop bombs on stuff. It was it was good. Like 05, 06, 06 I say oh, good. Like from our perspective, of yeah. getting work done. Yeah, just racking up some bodies. It was good. Can you uh, walk us through a couple of those uh, missions that, that that happened? Yeah, so one of them, uh, probably the well, yeah. So one of them was uh, I don't even remember the guy's name. We were hitting a, hitting a compound. Yeah, this is like Afghanistan. Myself and Rat again. We were we were, the, we were the sniper team for for that for that uh, troop. Yeah, we were over there by ourselves. The rest of the troops were in Af- in Iraq. So we were going in, just hitting one, climbing up a wall. And so on typical protocol for us, a lot of times a sniper overwatch, we would try to get a high ground on something. So we'd climb up the walls or the ladder or something, get overlooked, see what's going on in the compound, then let the other guys, you know, assaulters know that they can either blast if they need to or get through the door or whatever it is to get in. So we climbed over and typical rat, you know, I climb up the ladder. I'm like, fuck, I can't reach this thing. <laughs> so he climbs, he climbs up, gets on top of the wall, pulls me up. And as we pull up over the top, there's two guys right there. So we end up taking care of the problem. And that was like my first real up close, up close encounter with guys. So we took care of that problem. Guys blew it in, kind of went through and kind of cleared it out. So it was, did you pull a secondary or did you use your sniper rifle? Yeah, rifle. Yeah. yeah. As I'm bouncing on top of the wall, trying not to fall off, and these guys are waking up, and it's like, God damn. What the fuck? I'm either going to get shot or I'm going to fall down here 12 feet and fucking break <laughs> or, my skull. Or both. I'm going to yeah. shoot them or, and fall yeah. off. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. What, uh, I mean, what, so was that a 300 wind mag? No, that was my, rec- my recce M4. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
what uh, in terms of kind of how how that impacted you? What was there an impact, or was it just kind of not really? I mean, I mean, for for kind of the first up and close one, I, I thought I would kind of feel something else, but it was like, hey, this is my job. These guys have a job to do, and I'm going to vote first and and take care of the issue. Yeah, and it really wasn't it wasn't that much to it. It's like, yeah. Okay. Were there uh, some instances where you got some pretty significant Overwatch uh, gun battle type of type of stuff, or probably more in Iraq? I mean, Iraq. When we went back to Iraq, that troop again, Troop Plus, we brought another boat crew with us, so we had three boat crews and a sniper team, and some Ranger guys. That one was probably the sportiest because yeah. like every night, you know, this is 07, mid mid to yeah, probably mid 07, April to July. It was just every night. If it was clear weather, we had a target. Yeah. It got to the point where, from a experience standpoint, it was great. Because could, we could look at the target, watch what the guys are doing, and almost know what we're walking into. Kind of, we can judge it pretty good and pick a route in. And, and we had it down to a pretty much of a science to the most part. So we'd roll in, wreck you guys would come in first, take care of the the quick threat that's up close to them guys and then the assaulters are going inside out like my primary responsibility at that point i was a team leader was make sure that the assaulters can get to the problem safely and then get out of the problem safely yeah. which turned into you know summertime in iraq most of the guys are sleeping outside so that turned into us taking care of a lot of the problems and getting a lot of gun battles well, one-sided gun battles yeah were there, were there any uh, kind of shit sandwiches that you guys ran into? Were they you know, oh. ready for you or uh, like it, it didn't uh, We go had as well? one. I think this was Afghanistan, but we we went in, hit a target, had Ranger guys with us. Pretty quiet target. I think we I think it was four or five EKIAs. Nothing nothing crazy. But as we came in, the hill, the forty seven had to land inside of a courtyard to get us. And as he landed, it was a shit storm. Just started blowing up. It was tracers everywhere, PKMs from three different sides, basically pinned us down. So the other 47s flying around with miniguns trying to take care of the problem and dropping J-dams, and we're just like sitting ducks. Like if we take off, we're going to get shot. And if we sit here, we're going to get shot. So just waiting for a way to full of lull as much as we could, and then as fast as we could lift up and get out of there. And, you know, the 47 took a few rounds, but you now the guys got hurt. And, yeah. But it was like, what the fuck? How, when when, uh, when you're flying in a 47, uh, how apparent is it that it's taking rounds? It's, you can't hear it. No shit. No. I mean, in those Iraq, early Iraq things, you didn't even know until you got back and you started like, oh, shit, stuff's leaking out over here. <laughs> you know, they, they would come over the, over the thing where like, hey, we're taking fire. You can see tracers going around stuff, but you can't yeah. feel them hitting. I mean, yeah. the bottom of the 47s, are, they're armored, so yeah. you're not getting anything through the bottom. And the, the uh, gas tanks that will run alongside are all self-sealing. Yeah. So outside of a few shots, like the like the crew chief got shot, he, he went through the side and got him. Everything else kind of gets absorbed on the bottom. Yeah. You don't hear it until you yeah. get off, and you're like, "Oh shit, there's holes everywhere." Yeah. Um, would you say that the going back to the deployment in Iraq, where uh, he quoted it as being the sportiest? Yeah. What uh, by far the best one? Yeah. Um, do you know about how many missions that you went on, and, and how many? I think we ended up with seventy-five missions or seventy-five nights that we went out, and some of those were multiple missions running into each other. So, out of our ninety or so nights that we were there on that deployment, if it was clear weather, we were going somewhere. Yeah, uh, was there an operation or two that stand out as being the most uh, the, the busiest, where where you had the most engagement, or or you personally uh, engaged the most targets? Uh, probably the one that stands out the well. Probably a couple of them, but one that really stood out is 
Uh, we're going after ID network, uh, Dalton series. There's probably 20 of them that we end up hitting in this area, region west of Iraq, between Ramadi and Iraq. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Nightly missions going in and we had one target that we were out there and we're like, we kind of know these guys were in, there's like, there's like a series of four houses and in a, in a mosque. And we had to kind of go through the back and through the tall grass and, and everything else. And, and I'm on comms. I've got talking to the squadron, talking to or my troop, talking to all the air assets, got to make sure we know where we're at. And as we roll into this target, for whatever reason, kind of like my spidey senses, as the assaulters were hitting one target and me and me and rat were supposed to be going around to another side of the target to provide overwatch. Cause we knew they're probably going to have some guys in the mosque. So we were moving on there. And as I'm running up there, I know I just got the spidey sense, like we're in the wrong spot. For whatever reason, ISR didn't get the right one. So the salters are moving one target. I break off to the right and run right into three guys. They were running towards us. It's a yeah, quick little gun battle. Shoot some, shoot some guys real quick. And then I'm like, hey, hey, we're over here. You know, pass the word. And by the time everybody else got up with me, I kind of eliminated those issues. And then we went in. And Were you by yourself? Yeah. So you shot these three guys by yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Rat was right behind me. I'm like, Rat, we're in the wrong fucking spot. Get over here. So he, you know, he's peeling over to get to me. But by that yeah. point, I'm coming around the corner. And they're 10 feet, 10, 20 feet in front of me. Yeah. Were they armed and running yeah. straight towards you? But yeah. I mean, luckily, he's nighttime so i had nods i could see what's going on they were just reacting to the sound running into the building that i was coming around yeah yeah what uh what uh rifle did you have on you that's my recce, recce rifle yep. yeah. you're using a specific round for that no uh, that was our uh, 77 green black hills yeah oh, okay uh so you guys got the fucking the fancy ammo we were still fucking with green tip there's a big difference between oh hell yeah two. yeah i mean green tip is terrible for shooting yeah. people yeah. yeah i mean I don't know what it's good for, honestly. Yeah. I mean, shy of trying to punch through quarter-inch fucking plates, but maybe even, shooting cars, I guess. Maybe even then, yeah. yeah. Maybe link up a bunch on a saw and just chew yeah. up some cars, but yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the worst round ever invented for yeah. for anti people. The uh, how would you compare the Black Hills uh, seventy-seven to the Buffalo Bore seventy-seven? I don't know. I don't, what you know what they were using? I've never shot those. So the uh, Black Hill, the seventy-seven Green Black Hills was a uh, I think it was an SMK Sierra Match King. It was more. It was developed for the Army Marksmanship Unit because it shot really well. It's oh, a right. heavier bullet, shot really well. But for us, what we found on our rifles, it, the terminal ballistics were good, at least up close. Yeah. So that's why we're running that. And that was 05, 06. You know, and then, then we started getting some better rounds developed for that rifle. Yeah. What I guess knowing what you know now and, and what's out now, what would you would you carry the same? What would you carry as a? Uh, yeah, I'd carry the same rifle. I mean, it, I got so much confidence in that rifle. It's, yeah. I sadly had to turn it in when I left the command you know, after, yeah. after 17 years of carrying that thing. And yeah. it was one of the last Colt lowers in the oh, inventory. Yeah. Wow. Uh, did it have a crazy trigger on it? Yeah. Timney trigger. I mean, it was, it was a great shooting gun. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, John our uh, our master gunsmith that did all our stuff. He, he built that gun for me. Yeah. So Tactical. it was a you know, tack driver, 16 yeah. inch barrel. You know, it was long when you got the suppressor on it, but man, it worked every single time I needed it. Yeah. 
What what kind of loadout mag wise uh, did you have as a uh, it would guy. usually vary, but uh, like when we were hot and heavy in Iraq on that last deployment, I would probably carry, I carry four, four or five mags. Yeah. So not the it, 10 fucking mag no, desert I mean, for a little bit. We weren't, yeah, we weren't patrolling to wait to get shot at like some, some guys were doing. We were going in for a specific mission and there was enough of us that if I ever, shit, if I ever ran out on mag, I would be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm in a leadership position too. So I'm like, I get some shooting in and, and some stuff, but then it's like, okay, you guys, yeah. you guys take care of this. I've got to yeah. make sure everything's running right. On, on your, uh, on all your deployments, uh, with gold, did you guys, did you ever lose any teammates on any of those deployments? No, no, I didn't think, I mean, a lot of my friends have died, but none when I was actually there. Yeah. You know, we had some guys hurt and stuff, but nothing. Yeah. Um, in terms of other, other sniper missions or, or I guess, Finishing up the one that you started before I, I derailed us talking about <laughs> ammo and, and whatever. Yeah. So you, you smoke these three guys. Uh, you tell the guy you're with, Rat, that uh, you're in the wrong spot. What what? Did the, how did the rest of the mission go? Well, by the, by the time we took care of them, those guys, I think Rat got some shots off too. Uh, we had known some of the guys I engaged went in the house, and we knew there were some more people out in front of us that I could see. So I was waiting for uh, some backups so it didn't take long. It seemed like a long time at the time because, you know, you got everything going and adrenaline's going. It, it probably only took a minute before everybody else got over there. They went in and, and finished clearing that house. I think there were some more shots going on in there. But, yeah, yeah. after that, it was pretty non-eventful. Well, we had Travis slice his finger open trying to punch through a glass door. I'm like, <laughs> all right, buddy. Preachers, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're great for a lot of things, but they're, <laughs> they're not all the not all the tools yeah. are, are sharp. Not the, not the most surgical. Yeah. But, I mean, after that, it was – but from a – just paying attention to what's going on and be like, oh shit, and just reacting to the situation. Yeah, it was like that one. That one sticks in my sticks in my head. Yeah. Plus, I got all the kills. Yeah, those are mine. Did, you guys did, might have shot them too, but those are mine. Yeah. Did you keep track of uh, your EKIA total? Uh, I did. I don't. I ever, that's just like my number for myself. I don't. You don't. You won't talk about it. It's it's north of a few and not, <laughs> not south of a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm tracking. Um, was there ever, uh, you know, a time, I guess, throughout your, your time, specifically in Gold Squadron, where um, where that just the op tempo and, and what you were doing and, and where you were at and all that kind of stuff impacted you negatively? I think it did over time. I didn't recognize it at the time because uh, I went from there to another squadron for a while. And just, you know, we stay on that op tempo for long periods of time. I think probably some of the other guys that stayed in and did a lot more deployments than I did probably had more of an impact but you know luckily in 2015 i was able to go up to nico and do the, the national intrepid center of excellence and yeah. 30 day just head to toe body check and straighten things out and figure out what's going on that was i don't say life-saving but definitely was one of the more significant things i've ever done as yeah. far as figuring out what was wrong with me and understanding the triggers and understanding the what that pace of of doing the job for as long as i did yeah really did to me um what were some of the impacts that uh that looking back on that, that were taking place that you didn't realize at the time yeah i mean it, i was i was an asshole and like to the family to the wife to the guys and it's like short temper drinking way more than i should to be healthy yeah. and just kind of getting into more of a negative space of like fuck i gotta do another job gotta do another job and the jobs that kept driving me so I kept at it, even though it wasn't healthy, and I, yeah. I didn't really realize how bad it was until I took that 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 time off and had people to talk to and see, you know, just from a 
physiological standpoint, the hormones and the cortisol and everything that's, that's running through your body all the time, you know, you're, you're not designed for that. You know, the yeah. fight or flight, you know, your fight or flight method is only supposed to go for short periods, you know, yeah. 30 seconds to a couple minutes. And then you kind of ramp back down. I think they call it operator fatigue. Now they got a name for it, but we're essentially a race car in the red for years and years and years. And you, you know, it's just, it's terrible for you. Yeah. No sleeping and it, yeah. Yeah. Have you uh, reconciled with the family at all? On oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, now, you know, luckily we're still together. We made it through one of the one of the fuses that, that, that stayed together. I think we've been married for oh shit, she'll get she'll kill me. <laughs> I uh, think twenty two years now. Yeah, they're coming up on twenty two. This will be twenty two here on on New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an easy anniversary. Yeah, they, really yeah. Straight. We picked a, we picked a good date, but yeah, uh, yeah we're we're good now. But yeah. and how about she, the she knows that it's I'm fine if she sees stuff and she can tell when I'm going to, if I'm starting down that path of, yeah. of negativity and, and everything else. I mean, I don't drink very much anymore and that's been big, you yeah. know, trying to right in the ship and, and getting physically healthy again and yeah. you know, getting my hormones straightened out. Yeah. Yeah. She, she'll not be shy of like, Hey, you're an asshole. Yeah. Fucking shut up. Yeah. I got on my daughter the other day cause she's a swimmer and I'm a swim coach. So I'm like, here's what you did wrong. Here's, you know, I'm, I'm in coach mode when I'm watching her and she's like, just be your dad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can do that. How, uh, I'm curious how it was, I was talking with, uh, Jason on this last yeah. interview. We were talking yeah. about, uh, the impact that, uh, that that lifestyle has on, on kids, but more specifically is that, you know, how, how they interpret mm-hmm. who their dad is, what they do and, and what the job is and whatever, what, what kind of impact did, uh, did I th- that have I think on yours? We, I think we were, I was probably lucky in the fact that I had, my oldest in 2003, so right in the heat of my, like a lot of my combat deployments. Then the next one about a year and a half later. So by the time they got old enough to really realize like, hey, dad's going to do bad shit, they, I was kind of phasing out of it. Yeah. You know, so by the time they realized like, <clears throat> hey, this is dangerous, especially yeah. after like 2011 when F extortion 17, because that was my troop, like everybody on air, everybody on aircraft I worked with. Yeah. To the point, you know, some of the new guys maybe not, but. So once that happened, they, they saw that, yeah. you know, they were old enough at that point to realize like what was going on. And, you know, dad's going to funeral after funeral after funeral and like what that impact was, you know, and I was honest, I'm telling them, yeah. know, I don't hide anything from them. So at that point, I was kind of phasing out a little bit from, from those deployments. So it was good. The, uh, the extortion 17 thing, if we can yeah. uh, visit that for a second, that, that was your troop that, yeah, that was the troop. That was two troop, gold two yeah. troop. That was, that's where I was at. So you, I mean, you knew every yeah. fucking one of those guys just, just about, well, I knew, yeah, all except for the brand new guys. Yeah. yeah. So rat was on there. You know, rat was one of my team guys. Yeah. You know, that whole troop was there with mine in Iraq for, yeah. uh, my last point with them. No seven. That was a few years before, but yeah. Yeah. Is, is there, do you have the ability to describe, uh, the the feeling that uh, that you experienced when you found out of that i mean was it i don't know it's it was just like because i was home i just came back from africa on a deployment so i was home those guys had just left to go over there so i was home on leave doing my do my thing and and i got a call from one of the guys they're like hey did you see the news i'm like no i'm fucking home i don't watch the news and he, he told me over the phone what was happening and my first reaction was like well everybody it's like yeah Everybody, the entire troop, is yeah. gut wrenching. Yeah, I mean, I you know I knew uh, a number of the guys on mm-hmm. on there, um, you know, but 
that's very different yeah. from you know that being your your former troop and oh yeah man. I, like, I look back at pictures too and like i see robbie reeves and heath and you know, like all those like, yeah. man i i can remember like that direct appointment i can remember you know robbie just a fucking character yeah you know everything's funny with him and he's just yeah. you know that sense of humor and johnny yeah. foss just a fucking solid dude yeah i uh i did a platoon with matt mills i don't know if you ever worked yeah. with him but uh, or if he was one of the newer newer guys. He was one of the newer guys. Well, newer. I you know, came in after I left gold, but yeah, yeah. fucking yeah. Just yeah, I mean, every, they were every all one of them to a T were just all yeah. fucking good dudes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am curious. I mean, looking at it, just realistically, the the logistics of of the devastation that that uh, or toll that 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 um, took on on that squadron and that command. Oh, like, how, how do you fucking recover from that? I don't know if you ever do. I mean, we did the best job we could as far as like, I would say from a command perspective, dealing with, you know, that kind of Keiko drill with that level, they yeah. did awesome. They, they, they got a team all together. Every family had a team. Every family had a, you know, one of their friends was a rep for that family. It was, they did about as good as you could expect for, for dealing with that, for dealing with the situation. And then on the backside, the team guys, it was like everybody's hands up, like, I'll fucking go over there. Yeah, like we need people to go back to all these guys, and everybody then, you know, was like standing in line to get on deployment. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember going to that uh, to that memorial and and to Matt's funeral specifically. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just uh, it's yeah, hard. all those guys would be in leadership positions now. Yeah, yeah. Hard hard to wrap your mind around yeah. that one. Do you, um, I, I guess, take into consideration any of the of some of the bullshit that you see in the media or uh you know whether you call it a, a conspiracy theory or not <laughs> of, of that it was you know a fucking inside job no. like I, I or, or, or how do you even respond to that i mean just hey you know it's combat enemy has a boat they got a good shot and guys fucking died it's yeah. just it shit happens and it's there's do you think that uh, the the fact that it was not a TF one sixty bird and does that play a role I, in it? I don't want to put any blame on those guys, but I know they don't fly the same as the TF sixty TF one sixty guys, so they're going to be slower. They're going to be lower. It just makes it an easier target. I mean, shit, a forty seven is huge. I mean, yeah. If you picture a school bus, yeah, driving by at thirty miles an hour, and you got a fucking RPG at hundred yards, if that, yeah, it's not that hard of a shot. Yeah, and if you shoot enough of those RPGs, you eventually figure one out and yeah. it gets lucky. I mean, shit, we've had. He was hit with RPGs that just didn't go off before. Yeah. Um, in terms of retribution on uh, just the U.S.'s side in general to where that took place, it was pretty significant, wasn't it? I mean, after that happened, didn't they go in and just... Yeah, they kind of went in to make sure they cleaned out as much as they could. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like trying to weed out rats and cockroaches. You know, once they drop their guns and drop everything else, you can't really prove that they're a yeah. bad guy. Yeah. You know, do they you... do a really good job of blending in. Yeah. Um, do you, do you have any details as far as that goes of, of ensuring that they got the guy that did it or anything? I didn't. I mean, as much as I wanted to go back over there to, to kind of help write the ship from, from the guys, you know, I had another job and they're like, you're going to stay here and help with this stuff and yeah, we need you somewhere else. So. Yeah. So speaking of that other job, so now that's when you go over to, to Black Squadron, right? Yeah. Yeah. At that point I was in Black kind of running a lot of some cool stuff and a lot of just stupid shit with State Department. <laughs> I mean, just part of the game, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What the, everybody plays their part. Yeah. 
I want to focus on the really stupid shit, the boring stuff. No. Oh, God. Uh, the, it's uh, the State Department. Anybody yeah. that's interested in kicking ass, stay away yeah. from the State Department. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, just yeah. being a smart ass. The, uh, <laughs> in terms of, of some of the cool shit, uh, I know some of that is uh, is not, you're not able to really talk about it. Is there any that you can? And if so, what uh, what is that? Well, I was doing, yeah, so I was in black. So this is prior to extortion, but I was in black doing some work. And uh, that's when Captain Phillips came up. And we, I just happened to be, luckily, be stationed over in uh, part of Africa that was close to where Captain Phillips was. Uh, I had a small team. I think we had one, two, three. I had four SEALs. No, three SEALs. Myself, Jonas Kelso was over there kind of running things from an, from an officer standpoint. A couple Army guys, a couple, you know, a couple couple air force guys and we were out i was with one other guy we were down in another country and you know, the boss calls me he's like hey are you watching news again watching news i'm like Fuck, you know i'm in a goddamn third world country no yeah. I'm, I'm down here doing trying some to work. jerk off and I'm you're fucking to, with it. yeah exactly i'm trying to trying to have a good time here yeah. but uh yeah he called me he's like check out the news i'm like first do you want me to come back because it's like eight o'clock at night in another country i'm like i'm not flying tonight anyway regardless unless they they send a bird to get me like no, he, there's there's nothing we can do at this point. It says watch the news. Uh, watch the news and come back to the hotel and kind of see what's going on. Got fired up the you know our mobile system and kind of get caught up as much as I could. Uh, so next morning, first airplane we could get out of there. Flew back to uh, back up to base and got got debrief with the boss at the embassy and he said go and we, we grabbed the team and kind of a kind of a hassle to get out of from the city we were in to the airport that closes down, you know, no flights after dark. And we got there kind of at dark, you know, traffic and everything else. It's just a pain in the ass. Just got there dark, jumped on one of our birds, flew to a forward staging base from there, got our parachutes and got everything else. And, you know, thankfully the you know, aircraft we were on is completely set up for, you know, radar and, and ISR and, and comm. So we were getting live updates as much as we could. And we basically had one shot to, to jump in and, before he was, we were either out of gas or, or they were out of range. And, you know, as, as things would happen, we got out there and it's a typical thunderstorm over the Indian Ocean in the middle of summer, right? <laughs> so it's clouds and, you know, we could see kind of where the ship was at. And then, you know, Matt, my Air Force guy was talking to the ship. You know, these guys had never done a night jump, never recovered parachutes out of the, so we're, we're talking through emails, telling them how to do this thing, how to set up the, the boats in the wind and everything else. And pilots like, hey, there might be an opening coming up, but we've got about three minutes on station, five minutes maybe on station before we got to turn around. And luckily, we had just enough of a gap in in the help, in the in the clouds to to see a ship. And so we said, I said, go. We jumped out, and luckily, once we broke through the clouds, and we were actually where we we're supposed to be. So it was, we got lucky on a lot of fronts that that everything worked out. But we got out there and got on the ship, and as an E eight, and Jonas was a. He might have been 04 at that point, 03, 04, young 04 if he was 04. We, get, we climb on a ship, and the captain's like, what do you guys want us to do? I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, <laughs> my orders were you guys are running the ship. No shit. Yeah, so, you know, as an E8. And, you know, luckily I tell this, you know, going back, I, I tell all of my new students or candidates, I'm like, hey, always treat everybody in the military with respect because you never know when you're going to run across them. Just so happens the guy that was the master chief of the boat was the guy I was in boot camp with. No shit. Who camper steel team for one of these like a tech yeah. I climb over the boat, he's like, Terry? Are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> so he's like, What the fuck are you doing here? Yeah, he's the like, fuck are you doing here? He's like, What do you need? I'm like, Well, you know, we sort of running off things. I'm like, give me the update, what's going on? So yeah, I was on the Bainbridge and and just kind of dealt with the situation as much as we could. And 
it was it was interesting because I had no idea how to hostage negotiate. So we had an interpreter with us, and we were on the phone with the FBI back in New York, kind of trying to negotiate with these guys. We could see where Captain Phillips was at this point. He'd already jumped off one time, so they had him kind of tied up. So we did a like a pseudo mission out there, give him some food and some water just to kind of confirm where Captain Phillips was and see where he's at in the boat. Because on that lifeboat, for anybody that hasn't seen this thing, there's windows at the top and that's it. You know, like a little cubby on top that's, and you can't see anything else underneath. So we got in there and gave him some food and some water, some cigarettes and kind of figure out where Captain Phillips was. And then it was turned into like cat and mouse. You know, they were trying to get to the, to the shore. We couldn't let them get to the shore because once they got to the shore, it completely changed the complexity of what we're doing. So we would push them back with the ship, you know, the main bridge is a you know, big ass fucking ship. So that little lifeboat was a lot more mobile. So they'd get around and then eventually we got in a rib and kind of were chasing them down, putting them back. They would shoot at us. We fucking couldn't shoot back because we didn't know what the fuck we were shooting at. And then uh, eventually we got the, got the Halliburton to launch a helicopter and use the helicopter prop wash to kind of spin them around and push them around and push them back out to sea. Were they not trying to shoot the helicopter? No, I mean, fucking Smalley, they didn't know what the fuck they're doing. They were, all they wanted to do is get their prize and get back to get back to shore so and get some more cotton. They were, you know, they're out of cot, so they're fucking losing their mind. You know, they're kind of going with withdrawals and all that shit. Like, you, you know, can you imagine most dippers go to when they start? Yeah, times a thousand. Yeah, times a thousand. So, yeah. well, for, yeah, for those listening, uh, so cot is a is an opioid based yeah. chewing tobacco like substance that uh, a lot of the men in, in a lot of middle east countries get all fucked up on and by dinner time you know half oh, the God. fucking population is high as a fucking done. kite yeah nothing uh, can't get anything done yeah so um so that was the, the biggest driving force how how close did you guys get when you did the the food and sig delivery oh shit. i mean we were right there wasn't yeah it? right there that and they didn't they didn't try anything fucking squirrely and no, you guys didn't no i mean and we kept we were in our navy uniforms and we borrowed some uniforms and stuff so we had a weapon in a boat with us, but our, we were not going to try to do anything. We just want to see what was going on, try to confirm that he was good, where he's at, how many guys are on the, on the lifeboat and everything else. Yeah. You know, thinking back, could we have done anything? Maybe, but they had you know, AKs and they were already ready to go by the time we got something. You know, just odds weren't in our favor. Yeah. So we did this for about a day and a half, I think, until uh, until Red came in and saved the day. You know, if you watch the movie or, or read in the books, they're the, they're the ones that saved the day, but inside story is we were there yeah. way before those guys but yeah it was funny because you know as as i'm talking to uh to the captain and they're flying over he's like okay what do you got terry what's going on you gotta give him the updates and he's like, okay we'll be there in like 12 hours or whatever it was and they jump in and they get over there and he's uh okay terry so what's uh i don't even remember fucking it's like four days i didn't get any sleep it's like okay what do you need i'm like hey, just send me like six snipers and you know it's it's pretty calm down by now we can we can kind of figure figure out what's going on it's like okay yeah. it's a uh, good idea we're going to send a squadron or a, send a troop over <laughs> and i knew it was coming like there's no way in hell they're going to let yeah. jonas and myself run this like one is saying when you got a whole squadron sitting over there so yeah so those guys came over uh i told my guys I'm like okay we didn't turn over told them what's going on uh jay bird and those guys i'm like hey it's yours we're gonna get some sleep because we've been fucking running off fumes and for whatever reason i decided to you know slept for a couple hours got up i started walking through the back to the through the to the like the helicopter area and like, oh, I might as well grab my gun just in case to see what's going on. I got out the back and at that point it was, you know, just about time to get the game on. You know, there's a lot of stuff that went in between there, but you got paired up with one of the red snipers and like, okay, you guys got this guy, you guys got this guy and you guys got that guy. If, uh, if we ever get a chance to get a hundred percent confirmed that we can do it, you know, get them all one shot, we'll, we'll do it. 
And we played the cat and mouse like the fucking, like the uh, little video game, or not the video game, but the like smack the weasel. Oh, one would pop up. Whack a mole. Yeah, whack a mole. It's like yeah. one would pop up and two would go down. It's like, God damn it. And yeah. two would pop up and then one would go It's like, God damn it. Yeah. So I would love to get into a little bit of, of the complexities of, of that shot or set of shots in particular. And, you know, you, you like most team guys have a, uh, a tendency to brush over a lot of the finite <laughs> details, but yeah, you know, to me, like, well, I uh, should probably let the, uh, the mythology of the, the yeah, well, sniper shot. That's a thousand yards. Yeah. Fucking. Well, I mean, to, to me, the, just the, the, all of the circumstances piled yeah. together create a, a pretty ridiculous scenario uh, to be able to pull that off. And, and if, yeah. if you could kind of walk, you know, imagine a lot of the, the people listening right now have never been on a Navy ship, yeah. you know, have never, have no idea what sniper operations are, you know, so okay. if you could kind of set it up from, from like the 30,000 foot view first and then kind of walk through the, uh, the actions on. Yeah. So I, I guess uh, if you want to imagine something, imagine uh, like the back of the whirlpool when, when the whirlpool's going, bubbles going over, that's what the back of a ship looks like when it's going, going underway. It's, and we're probably like 15, 20 knots. We're moving, but it's not, not crazy. So you got the waves coming in, it's Indian Ocean, so you got waves anyway. So what we did is we were able to get them to tie on and, and pull them underway because they were out of gas and, you know, again, they're losing, losing their mind with their cotton and everything else. We got them underway. At this point, we'd already had one of their guys that got hurt on the boat with us. So we knew there was three guys in there. And uh, as night falls, what we started doing is slowly cranking them in. So we had them underway. At, you know, they started you know, a couple hundred yards behind us, what it was, you know, 100 yards or what it was. So we slowly kind of pull them in, pull them in, pull them in to where they're, I don't know, like 35, 50 yards behind us at this point. So now they're underway and where they are in awake, it's still enough to keep them moving and keep them sick and, and <laughs> you know, just generally be a bad day for them. Yeah. Because what we were trying to do is drive them to come up and get fresh air. So we would do that and it, it eventually kind of moved them in. And when I went out, uh, the squadron, the, you know, Chris and those guys had them lined up like, Okay, here's snipers. They're all paired up. Everybody's paired up with one one of the uh, bad guys, and we would be on comms and lasers and everything else. So at that point, did you know like who's who? Like were they were the bad guys labeled like this is bad guy one? Well, we knew two. there was there was two in the pilot house that would trade positions, and then one guy up front that would pop up every now and then. So there was a hatch in the very bow of the of the uh, of the lifeboat that was open, and one guy would pop up there, and then he would go down, and then. There's the steering wheel for the for the uh, lifeboats up in that little cockpit uh, pilot house. So now it was all surrounded by plexiglass so you could see it. So we would see two guys back there and then the guy up front and we just transfer off. So Jeff and his guy had, had the guy up front, uh, myself, Clinton had this guy, and then the other pair had the other guy. We were just talking like, okay, here my guys up. You know, we had lasers on. So, you know, we had night vision. They didn't, so we could have lasers on. We put lasers on in time. We saw the guy. I'm like, okay, ready, ready. Uh, no, we don't. We're not set up. So this went on for uh, seems like a while before it was like, oh shit, my guy's up, my guy's up, my guy's up, and everybody's like, hey, we're red, we're good. Let's, you know. So then we got the countdown and and so all three guys were were above the uh, yeah. above yeah, the, the hatch. Yeah, the guy the in the front time. was up. Yeah, you know, had his chest up out of the out of the hatch, and the guys, two guys in the wheelhouse, were sitting there. So you could see their heads and. Yeah, and so what? What was the uh, the count? Well, two things. How how was how was the setup on the? Were you guys on the fantail? Yeah, we were on the fantail. We're on the back of the the ship. And there was three three sniper pairs. Were you guys like laying right next to each other? Was it? Uh, I mean, yeah, pretty close. Like so, the two guys, so the two pairs that had the guys in the wheelhouse, we were right next to each other. 
So we were talking on comms, but we were also right there talking to each other. And then the, the other guys were off to our right, which would be the port side of the ship. Uh, two of the guys that got a better angle of him. But yeah, we were just set up there and there were some assaulters there too. I don't know if they ever shot or not, but. So they were all, like you guys were all just prone on the back of a ship, yeah. fucking guns pointed at, yeah, at these assholes. Prone, just waiting. And it was like a damn, it was like a damn stadium. Yeah. Everybody was out there. Yeah. Like yeah. a bunch of the crew from the ship and everything or what? Uh, I don't know about them. I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to them. They, they yeah. stayed out of our way for the most part. They made a great job, man. Everybody on the ship was awesome, but yeah, it was the, like, you got a whole troop of guys, you know, squadron guys out yeah. there just. So I, I imagine like, so that's like 30 some. 30-some dudes, right? Well, a troop, at that point, so we had two teams and our sniper team. So there's probably 20 of us total out yeah. there. Yeah. But to me, like, I, I can't help but feel that there had to have been some sense of going back to day one of boot camp when you're mm -hmm. standing behind the masking tape on the on the pisser floor line <laughs> saying, fucking piss. And you're like, I, I can't piss when you're yeah, fucking yeah, still like yeah. that many dudes, that kind of pressure staring. Like, that had to add to it, right? You got a whole squadron of motherfuckers standing behind you. like. Yeah, but, I mean, at this point, shit, I'd already had – I don't know, 15, or not 15, but 10 deployments. Yeah. Plenty of firefighters. I mean, so shooting a gun at a target was. But I guess just with your boys fucking standing there watching. like it's I'd say, a, I, I've probably only been awake for like 45 minutes. Yeah. I woke up, <laughs> and get my gun, walk out there, look, I have my shit on, and, and yeah. Chris like, hey, lay down here. You, you can help with this guy. Yeah. What like, uh, what gun was that? That was uh, that was a 416. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Were, uh, were, did everybody have that, or was it a mixed match? Uh, I think most people did, because everybody jumped in, so we didn't, <clears throat> we didn't pull any long guns or anything crazy. Yeah. Do you know about what uh, what range it was? I'm right around 1,000. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> good two miles. Like the yeah. Canadian guys. It's like, yeah. oh, it was 5,000 meters. Like, <laughs> 5,000 meters. Yeah. yeah, they got the – yeah, that's like the running joke in the sniper world. They've got all the, the world records for sniper shots. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you're just fucking launching rounds at the mountainside, and somebody fell yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. No, he was probably like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't pop the burst of bubble 50 yards or so, somewhere yeah. in there, 50, 75 maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to tell at night sometimes. Yeah. So, but it was at night. Yeah. Uh, you guys were on nods with lasers. Oh, yeah. But the, to me, it wasn't, the, I don't think, it, it, to me, it wasn't a difficult shot. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. Yeah. It was the fucking hardest shot in my life. Yeah. <laughs> wait, edit this. Yeah. We get this thousand uh, yards yeah. there. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, to me, the, there's a factor there, though, that I, oh, there is. I, that mean, I yeah, don't think. We get, we're, under, we're moving. The lifeboat's moving. we got waves going by. You know, everything's moving. Yeah. I mean, that's. I, uh, I guess because we train at such a level all the time that, like, I find my target and, and I'm tracking my target. And that's, I pay attention to what I'm doing. And I'm not worried about what other people are doing because I know they're going to do their job as well. Yeah. I just got to carry my own weight. Yeah. Uh, all right. So it's middle of the night. All three of these motherfuckers are presenting themselves. You guys are queued up. You do the countdown. Mm -hmm. uh, was it like from ten or five? No, or? just yeah, regular three, two, one, execute. Yeah. Like typical. And and in terms of the the shots, uh, I mean, did they all go pretty much at the exact same time? Or yeah, what? I mean, it was it was fast. Yeah, it was like yeah. no stagger at all. I, I don't I don't recall any. It was like yeah, shot shot, and I I double tap. I went double tap, and like by the time I was done, and my guy fell, I'm like, there's there was all quiet. Yeah. I mean, to me, like the the gravity of of how big of a deal that was, and and you know, for me, you know, to be able to sit here and and have one of the guys that that did that tell the fucking story is pretty special, man. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's an honor to uh, you know to to sit here and have you. Well, it's have funny, you tell that like I, everybody's asked me about Captain Phillips. I'm like, well, you saw me in a movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the big, big, tall, good looking yeah. guy. Yeah, like six four, yeah, two thirty. Like even in the book, like. <laughs> Our whole and it's sad because you know the, the main squadron got all the recognition. So like 
my handful of guys, like ragtag group of guys, didn't yeah. get a lot of recognition back yeah. at the command. You know, yeah. Guys knew we were there, but didn't really know. That like, you guys were the ones that actually did it. Well, I mean, when it came to finally resolving, that was a squadron. I just yeah. happened to be there as well. I don't think the rest of my guys, they, they were there watching it, but they didn't participate in the, in the shooting side of it. But if we weren't there, you know, before the squadron got there, then those guys would have made landfall or something else would have happened. To, we played a pretty critical role in that in that whole situation. Yeah. No, it's... it's uh, in it's, my mind, right? No, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's fucking awesome. Uh, how, were the were your guys that were there racked out at that time? Were they pissed that it went down without them? I think I think I think every one of them at that point was out there because it, it, you kind of get a feeling on a boat like, hey, something's going on. Yeah. Even if you know, nobody comes and says it, so I think I'm pretty sure everybody was there. You know, in in, I guess in the they, audience. Yeah. I mean, were they pissed that they didn't get no, down? No. At that point, everybody's done done it so many times; it's all the same shit. Or well, and, and then everybody's got the role, right? Yeah. So, like okay, we got precision shots. I don't know if any of the soldiers shot. They might have. They might have to because I was just focusing on my guy. But yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. knows. Everybody knows the role. And yeah, it's, it's not like you're missing out on not shooting a guy. Yeah, no, it's a it's a cool fucking story, man. Uh, after that, what uh, what what was that like? So well, the after was actually, from my perspective, pretty cool because so we well we, yeah we pulled Captain Phillips on, made sure everything was taken care of, you know, and then crime scene, all that stuff, because international one is, is kind of a mess on that side because we're not used to, that was kind of our first time of really doing something outside of a, a declared theater of combat. Yeah. So where we would go and just kind of prosecute a target and get the intel, we kind of fucked it up a little bit from the, because it like a, from a chain of custody of, of the, uh, all the evidence, mm-hmm. you know, that's not our job, right? I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. From the military side. So when we turned over the FBI guys, they're like, oh man, you kind of, you didn't really screw us over, but here's some stuff that you could have done better. But it was cool. So we, yeah, we brought Captain Phillips on, did an interview, got him, got him medically checked out. Then after we spent about a day there on, on the boxer and everything else and getting a medical check and, and crime scene, all that kind of stuff, we went back on the main bridge. It was my team because we were going back to Africa. Everybody else was going, staying on the boxer and going wherever they're going. And we had Captain Phillips with us for the ride back. So I spent another two or three days with him. Did he give every one of you guys hand jobs or how did that, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> I tell you, it was, it was funny because when, when we first pulled up with, you know, passing off some food and water, these guys, and he's in the back and he's kind of stressed out and everything else. And we're like talking loud enough that he can hear us. We're like, Hey, Captain Phillips, it's okay. Hey, you know, some of the guys from Virginia were here. I think that's all we said. And you could just see his demeanor. He just like shifted to like, Oh, the guys from Virginia. Are here. Like he, <laughs> like you could see recognition that he knew he was going to be okay. Yeah. So that well, was cool. If you can, uh, if we can take one step back, yeah. right after you did the shots, uh, what what happened immediately after that? Like, did you? Oh, I mean, I mean as, as soon as the shots went down, you know, I looked to the right and I see one of our guys. He's just crawling down the, the, the just like we do the slide for life. He's slide for life and right down to the boat, jumps in the thing with his hanging because he had to make sure everybody was safe, right? Because we shot guys and then he disappeared. Yeah, like shit. So Jeff jumped in there and made sure everything's good. <laughs> And then we had the target awesome. secure. It's like, okay, 
good radio calls. Everything, you know, we stopped the ship. Everything stops, and then launch the rib to go. Yeah, pull everything out. So at that point, did he stay in there with Captain Phillips uh, once? Yeah, yeah. Once, yeah, you, know, you know, just like anything, you know, once we get our target, we're we're on, you know, we're protecting that target, yeah. no matter what. I mean, the guys are dead, but we're still holding yeah. on to it until we get them back onto the ship. Yeah. What uh, have you talked to him, or did he give any uh, synopsis on on what that? Excuse me. Fuck, <coughs> oh, sorry. <clears throat> did he give uh, <clears throat> any? Direction, I guess, as to how the interaction when he first fucking went into that uh, capsule. What, uh, uh, a little bit. I mean, like. granted, he at this point he'd he'd been kind of in that scenario longer than we were, and worn out and tired and everything else, and then just the stress level being being a hostage and getting shot at in the water, you know, like all the stuff that he went through. But on that, on the drive back to uh, to Africa to the coast, you know, him and I got to hang out for quite a bit. We were playing board games like Monopoly or just just kind of de-stressing a little bit and i got him on the phone call with our psych and he walked him through some stuff and you, know, you could see him kind of just relax and open up and yeah yeah but right after that he came down to <clears throat> virginia for the for the reunion so he, i got to meet his wife and oh that's cool yeah he got to meet my wife and the kids and yeah. we hung out for probably a couple hours and just yeah that's just awesome kind of hanging out like friends yeah I, yeah i mean it, it's hard to hard to rationalize even what uh what must have been going through his mind. I mean, it's yeah. one thing when you're, you sign up for that, you train for it, you, you know, it's, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's stressful from us as the operator, right? When it's going on. Yeah. And then taking a, a different perspective, somebody that never trains for that. My, my job is driving a ship and then be thrown into that situation. I think he did. I think he did pretty good. He yeah. tried to get away when he could and kept himself alive. Right. And kept his crew alive. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a, just a straight up civilian worker, yeah, I don't think you could have done much better. Yeah, unless you would have done like Steven Seagal and sort of like fucking <laughs> breaking necks in there or something. <laughs> yeah, um, the uh, I'm assuming you've read the book, watched the movie, or yeah. yeah. What uh, What did you think of how it depicts? Uh, I, I I thought it was good because it didn't really get into <clears throat> to us as much. You know, I was you never know, right? Because then Hollywood gets involved, and that's another one. Squadron, was, you know, I never got the phone call to go out the ship when they were making a the movie. I was I was on deployment. I heard about it afterwards, but but. Uh, I'm not negative at all about that. No hard feelings, <laughs> no, guys. No bitterness. But uh, no, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought the book was good. The movie was good because it was. It didn't really focus on us. Yeah. You know, it, the story was about him and the situation and and everything else. You know, there's <clears throat> there's parts of it in there, but I guess you know most importantly is is do you feel that uh, that you guys the mission you did how you did it was was accurate and respectful? Yeah, I mean there wasn't a lot of detail. At least I mean, granted my memory's not great after getting blown up a couple times, but it's. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see anything when I read the movie or, or read the book and watched the movie that jumped out like God. I wish they wouldn't have put that in there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, less on us, less on us. Tactics. I don't think there's any tactics in there at all, really. Yeah. Um. So a- after that, you uh, it took some time to get back. What uh, What happened after that? Like once you got got back, from- it was. Yeah, I turned into uh, for some reason like the underway hostage expert. So as we hit the coast. Our, uh, our German friends were dealing with a similar situation with one of their ships. So I went and kind of liaison with them for probably three or four days, kind of walking through how we did it and what happened and kind of stuff to think about. Yeah. And kind of, just, I didn't do anything with them, but just kind of as liaison with them while they're planning. Yeah. Advise yeah. them. Did they, uh, did the outcome? I don't think they ever actually went and hit anything. Yeah. yeah. I think they, they were planning, 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 and then it turned into more of a, like a ransom type thing. I mean that shit boggles my mind. I mean, mind. I, I could be wrong. Maybe yeah. I, they might have went in dinner, but yeah. 
from from there, did you continue to do more shit like that, or did you end up going? That was probably lines? like from as far as Black Squadron goes, probably the most exciting one that actually had some some consequences and repercussions and stuff. So it was it was good, and because a lot of stuff that we did never never made the light of day, yeah. which is good. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, we're not the we're not the flashy flashy guys that are going in and doing DAs and and killing ID makers and hostage rescue stuff. That's not what we do. But yeah, I mean, it was productive. It was good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, is there is there any other any other ones you can share from uh, from that time? Uh, probably not. I mean, some of the stuff we did was significant in the in the uh, progression of Somalia and everything else. But yeah, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I got you. Um, once you left there, was, is that where you retired out of, or no? So, uh, so that that first in black was four deployments. Like it was four deployments, and I went to our sniper shack and, and did that for about a year or so, doing helping with the training and and, <clears throat> and gear development and stuff for the squadrons, giving back a little bit, and then uh, then I got asked to come back and do a troop leader's position in, in black. So I went back up there again for another couple of years. Yeah, and were you a master chief at that point? No, I made master chief after that after that troop position, and then oh, okay. uh, once I put nine on, I I kind of volunteered myself to go do that Chicago job. And, yeah, yeah, get away from the the madhouse for a little bit. Was uh, were, were, was the the emotion involved in, in kind of where you were at mentally a, a driving force in that? Like, were you I, did you yeah, need to do that? Because well, I I made master chief while I was in NICO. Yeah, so it, oh, okay. it was a good time for self reflection and, <clears throat> and kind of the long term picture. Like, what's where do I need to go? What's, what's healthy for me? What's healthy for the family? Yeah. Made nine up there. Knew I was probably about done at the, at the command as far as, uh, what I wanted to do and where they wanted me to be. So I, I kind of took that position at, at prep to, uh, for a lot of reasons. One, it gets, gets me close to the family and, and kind of nice little off ramp at this point. I'd already been in for 23 years or so. So it was, uh, it was good. Yeah. And I didn't even realize how like how how bad off I was from like a work standpoint. Yeah, so I get up to prep, and you know, it's show up at seven, and kids go home at three, and that's that's really all there is. You know, it's like a seven to three job. Yeah, I would show up at you know five, <laughs> stay get, till nine. Yeah, stay till five six <laughs> o'clock, and and I just could not force myself not to be in the office, even yeah. though I didn't really have anything to do. Yeah, and like staffs like Master Chief, you know, what do you need? You need help with anything? I'm like, no, I I just can't go home. Yeah. So it, it was a good, I'm glad I did that up there because, you know, if I went straight from dev group to retirement, I, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you got blown up a couple of times when you were at NICO, did they, uh, evaluate Some TBIs? you? TBIs? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've got six confirmed TBIs. No shit. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, by, by no means that's even close to some of the guys. Yeah. Um, what impact does that have on you or, or has I don't know to... if it was as much the, between the TBIs, the drinking or the combination, therefore like my memory is fucking shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to recall a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, like you, you, you're digging some of the stuff out of me cause you're making me think about it, but I was just going to tell the Captain Phillips story from start to finish without questions in between. I'd probably be done in like three minutes. <laughs> yeah. That well, sounds familiar, huh? Yeah, one, I mean, either, either glossing over stuff that I don't think is important or that interesting because it's just part of the job to yeah. just not remember the details. Yeah. So that's probably like the, 
the biggest impact for me. Yeah. And some of the, the like the word finding recognition, you know, as you know, if we don't edit too much, you'll, you'll notice I'm having a conversation and I kind of get stuck, stuck on what I've like, the words are up here. But they're just not coming out. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, I know it's a huge part of, uh, of, of a lot of guys in, in this line of work mm-hmm. that, uh, that deal with that. Uh, how many times were you blown up? I don't know. Well, I mean, or, you know, I mean, in, in close right? proximity to, I say blown up. I mean, I was probably only really blown up once I got, that I know of getting knocked out. And I was rat and I again, I, like a lot of this weird shit comes up when rats involved. Yeah. But uh, we were down working with uh, Kansoff guys hitting a target and him and I, I, I climbed up on a wall and uh, I don't know if it was their, their charge that went off or, or something else that went off right underneath me, but just fucking knocked me off and I fell down and I woke up a little bit later and <laughs> they told me kind of what happened, but yeah. Were there any instances of uh, enemy IEDs that uh, rattled you hard or was it all your I was own guys in the charges? area for some IDs, but I never, I didn't get hit by any. No. Yeah. And uh, we had one, uh, I threw a, I threw a picture up on IG one time. We had a, the Tacoma. So early, so this has been O2. That like the Hilux? Time. No, the old, yeah, the old Hiluxes, the D4D, you know, the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we we're doing that, uh, those mountain missions early in September and we had one after they dropped us off, they, the guys are leaving and some of those roads up there, they, they run right along the side of between the river, river bottom and, and the mountainside. The guys are driving by one ID blew it up. They, they rolled down the hill, flipped it over, started it back up and took off. No shit. And it's just, it's just fucking rattled. God, nobody, damn. I mean, guys got banged up a little bit, but nobody got like seriously hurt, which I, I can't fuck. believe. Yeah. Yeah, we got back to base. I was like, what the <clears throat> fuck happened to that? Like, oh, yeah, right after we dropped you off, we got hit with an ID. God damn. It's like, Jesus. Were there any close calls uh, in all of the operations uh, that you did where, like, you, you took rounds in your helmet or body armor or, or grazed you or got super uh, fucking I mean, I close? Got some, I got some frag and stuff, but nothing. Never. I mean, I shot at. I'm probably closer than I think, but. Yeah. Yeah, nothing. Nothing too fucking crazy. No. The shrapnel that you still have or. Yeah. No, it was, it was a tire- well, shit. That, that sounds like a story in and of itself. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I got hit, uh, was in a grenade behind me. And so I got shrapnel, got it right in my, by my tailbone. No shit. Yeah, most of it worked off. This was early, like that O2 deployment, I think, somewhere in there. But What uh, were the circumstances that, that led to uh, it? Just something went off behind me for whatever, on, on some target. I don't even remember what it was now. But uh, it didn't feel bad at the time. Like, oh, fuck, that kind of burned a little bit. And I got back and Air Force guys like pulled a couple pieces out. And I'm like, okay, cool. Fuck. A couple more pieces came out a few years later and then. I was at the chiropractor about a year ago and they do, <laughs> they do your x-rays. He's like, Oh, you, you play BB guns when you're a kid. I'm like, well, yeah, but what are you talking about? So he showed me the little piece of travel. I'm still in there. So oh, I still got a little piece of Afghanistan with me. Yeah. Maybe you'll shit it out one day. It's right there. Yeah, in the it's, tailbone. It's, I figured if it hasn't gone out now in yeah. 18 years, it's probably, yeah, that's the fuck. I'll take trip. that one with me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, I had, uh, Mike day on, uh, oh, yeah. and, uh, he's, yeah, got, he's got some buck stories. He's got a bunch of shit. Um, and he even showed me a video of like, this was not that long ago where he, he was on the tailgate of a fucking truck, like at lunch. It's like scraping shit out of him. Well, it was, it was in his fucking, it was like right by his belly button where there was a corpsman that fucking sliced him open and they were squeezing it out like a zit. And it was like, and it was one of the fucking rounds. So I was like, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, like 27 times or something. Yeah. Something, there's no yeah. way you should be alive. No, I know it. Yeah. I mean, he's got, uh, he's got, yeah, it's a fucking, it's a crazy story, yeah. but. Uh, in terms of the, 
kind of going back to the NICO stuff, any, uh, any like nightmares or PTSD or anything like that that you experience? Yeah. I mean, I had, I still do to a degree, but they, I mean, that program was good. Uh, yeah, it straightened out a lot. I mean, I've got technically by the Navy standard, I got PTSD, but I understand what my triggers are and, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what they are, if you're comfortable? Yeah, I mean, so for me personally, like in crowded spaces, uh, that in, in in around people that I don't know in crowded spaces when there's a lot of shit going on, noise, like concert type stuff, I can't, I won't even do that. Yeah. Movie theaters, not really anymore that much, especially if it's, I, I, like, I don't go watch war movies or anything like that. Yeah, it's just not good for me. So those kind of things. And, and one of the weird ones, like driving at night when it's raining, it just fucking freaks me out. Really? And I have no idea where that came from, but like between the wipers going off the rain on the windshield, and I can't see good, the glare from the lights, it just, it, I fucking freak out. Yeah. So, to, I mean, I'm not a fucking doctor, a psychologist, yeah. whatever, but to me, the, the the common denominator with all those is like sensory overload. Yeah, sensory overload and not being in control, which, yeah. which is weird because, you know, we thrive in chaos, right? You know, yeah. we're comfortable in the chaos and understanding what's going on <clears> and it, it's almost like a necessity yeah. to to degree when we're operating that, that we have a lot of shit going on. But yeah. Well, so I, I think it's a two part problem again, you know, don't fucking listen to me, but I've got plenty of theories, right? <laughs> Is that, uh, you know, there, there's an element of, you talked about it earlier, right? Where, uh, it's fighter fight or flight that, that mechanism when it's overblown, you know, mm-hmm. over and over and yeah. over to the point where, you know, it, it essentially destroys your fucking adrenal glands. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which are, are is ultimately going to fuck your hormones up and, and lead to more of that. I, I to, to me, there there should be far more nutrition based um, components to to NICO and, and to X filling out of the military when it comes to you know guys mm-hmm. like you that have done that for that fucking long that clearly are going to have you know some of the biological processes that your body possess fucked up. Um, you know, and, and to me, like, I'm not saying that it would necessarily repair everything, but I know that cortisol and adrenals and, and lots of caffeine and, and shitty sleep and, and you know, <laughs> yeah. dovetailed onto yeah. a, a career like that. You know, there, there's a lot of little things, whether it's vitamin supplementation or, or again, cutting way the fuck back on caffeine that, that can help with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Do they talk any about that they, at all? They do, uh, especially like on the, the alcohol side, caffeine side, substance type side, they, they do, uh, I'm trying to think if they covered too much on nutrition. I mean, just just basic vitamin and mineral deficiency. That well, most yeah. So possess, I did know? go through a program this summer uh, for Virginia High Performance BHP. I don't know if you know, you know Alex Oliver. I don't. Uh, team guy, but he's, he's out now and he runs a fucking awesome program. So it's 30 days. You get a personal trainer, two workouts a day. You get a nutritionist that makes all your meals for you and goes through everything, does your blood work, you know, you know top, you know, wow. top to bottom. And coming through that, between that and NICO, man, I, I life changing, life changing, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome, yeah, that's really cool. Um, in terms of, uh, you said you did have nightmares, yeah, yeah. Do do you still at all? Not too much anymore. I, I'm, I, I still do from time to time, but it's usually stress related, like a lot of stress going on or something else, or something brings back a memory of of the guys. I, I think I've done a pretty good job of coming to terms with with the guys we lost, yeah. you know, the friends we lost, you know, it's been a while now and I've been talking to kids and talking to wives and seeing guys and friends and telling us like this, you know, we're going to be going down doing a, doing a hunt down here in Texas here for a few days. And we got a few team guys. So, you know, sharing the stories around the campfires is very therapeutic for me. Yeah. Fuck yeah, it yeah. is. Um, 
what do you mind sharing kind of is there a a typical or general um correlation nightmare wise like they're kind of all the same or is it just totally random usually kind of random and you it's typically either around my kids being in a threat threatful situation or guys you know remember the guys being not necessarily on a specific mission but seeing the guys and being in a position that uh i can't make the right call yeah like i, I can see it i can i want to say what to go on you know or you know can you get to someone's run you're like I'm, I'm trying to run but i can't run like I'm, I'm trying to make a decision and make a make a call and i can't yeah and it's usually around something like that like a helplessness yeah kind of like like I know I can help, but I, I can't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned war movies. If uh, Let's say if you were to, to put yourself through watching Black Hawk Down or like, you know, the first half hour of Saving Private Ryan, like mm-hmm. what, what would that do to you? It just gets me, uh, it, it gets the, the adrenaline going, the cortisol going, every, like I get sweaty, you get fucking shallow breathing and like eyes dilated. Like you feel like you're part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like. I need to react and I need to make and some of that stuff too. Like, Oh, that's wrong. You're, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it right. Like kind of that a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that's just not healthy for me. So I'm not even going to watch it. Yeah. No, I'm trying. Yeah. So they, they come out all the time. Oh, did you see this movie? You see yeah. it? I'm like, no, if I, no, I didn't. Well, yeah. One, I probably was there. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's <laughs> bullshit. Knows, and that's not how it happened. Or I know somebody was there. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, that's, yeah. but yeah, I, I just try to stay away from it. Yeah. Um, so the, the last couple of years you spent at, uh, at Bub's, Bud's prep, it sounds, mm-hmm. sounds like that was a really good transition yeah, springboard. Yeah, absolutely. Out. Uh, when you did finally decide to, to exit, how, how dif- was it difficult to, or was it kind of like, not analysis? really. Cause at, at this point I was away from, uh, away from the operational side of the guys and it was harder on the family to move when we did. Cause the girls grew up in Virginia beach. They knew Virginia beach was home. You know, they're excited to move it. It was tough on them. So working through that process, it took you know, a year and a half to actually get to the point where they're with friends and school and everything and, and back into a life. Yeah. So it was very easy to decide not to do that again to, yeah. to the family Yeah. for, for a reason that if I would have went back, I would have probably been an ops master chief and, and hopefully a, a team master chief, one of the SEAL teams. But yeah, I just, it, the, the plus or the, Juice just wasn't worth the squeeze for yeah. for family at that point, which was good because I you know, had that time to reflect and and make myself right and make the family right and you know, finish my degree and kind of see the bigger picture of you know where's my role is yeah. it's more a mentor or a mentor or a coach or you know master chief kind of role which is which I loved, but I I wasn't ready to put the family back through another three and a half years of deployments and workups and yeah. everything else. You're, uh, so so now the uh, workout of the day or whatever is ten fifties on fifty or some shit like that, right? <laughs> I wish I could swim like my yeah. kids do, but yeah. yeah, I sit there and watch them and yeah, tell them what they're doing wrong, but I can't yeah. do it myself anymore. I do remember. So I, I swam too, just oh, yeah. randomly. I yeah. remember that was one of the shittiest workouts. Actually, it was fifty fifties on fifty. That was oh, the yeah. entire workout. Yeah, Twenty five. Yeah, yep. it's fucking horrible. But uh, yeah, I do one. It's called uh, Terrible Tuesdays. So they're doing two hundreds. Yeah, you know, two hundred pyramid, two hundred yeah. night, yeah, like twenty two hundred or something. This yeah. is fucking stupid. So, yeah, I mean, swimming and, and wrestling are very, uh, very parallel that way, yeah. in that like they, you know, it's a, a basically a singular one person gig, and you gotta you gotta learn how to fucking dig deep to to do it. You yeah, know? But, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, and we got a small team, so it's like yeah, everybody You're doing has all to, of everybody it. has to carry their weight. Yeah, yeah. Did you move, or is your family where you grew up? Yeah, we're in the same town. So, is your uh, wife from there? No, she's from Ohio, but. Oh, okay. uh, 
part of that reason I took that job too is you know we were looking at it when her dad was you know struggling with cancer and, and he ultimately gave in but uh get the, get her back close to him and her mom and is that is that why too. she was willing to leave Virginia Beach? That yeah, point? yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's, that's been hard, tough on her too because you know, she had her friends from Virginia Beach. She still talks to her every day, and yeah, you know, that, yeah, yeah. That's good shit. So what uh, when you did transfer out? How long ago was that? So I retired in July of eighteen. So okay, two yeah, two and a half years ago now. And what uh, what has that transition been like? When when you first got out, did you have shit lined up, or did you? Uh... I had, had a couple <laughs> things lined up, but surprisingly, it was. A lot harder than I thought it would be. Yeah. You know, kind of hanging up, not just hanging up the guns and the armor and everything else, but kind of hanging up that, like who I was for for so long. I mean, my entire adult life was yeah. SEAL teams, right? So that culture, that family, and hanging that up and just being a family guy. Yeah. It was it was rough. You know, the wife was like, "Just get out of the fucking house and go do something," because <laughs> you know you're driving me crazy. You're messing yeah. up the system. You know, the, you yeah. know, everything from that to you know what's my purpose now? Because my purpose was do what the country needs me to do, do what my teammates need me to do, and then worry about myself and the family afterwards. Yeah. So then that fully shifted. And like, I don't really have to worry about the country because I'm not, I can't impact that too much. I can't impact the guys anymore other than, other than still do some training with them and, and share my experience as much as I can. So finding that new purpose and that new mission was, was tough. It was yeah. hard. And uh, what was that path like once? Uh... Man, I bounced around a little bit because I knew, I knew what I didn't want to do. So I, I was fortunate enough to do a program called track. Uh, so station foundation and commit foundation, put this on. It's a transition assistance for, for guys like us. So through that two week program, I, I realized that I can't sit in an office and do a nine to five job. After two and a half decades, I had to control my own time. I had family first, you know, myself first control my own time. So I knew I was going to have to do something on my own. So I started a consulting company. So I'd consult with business leaders on teamwork and leadership, uh, do some mentoring for sports programs, youth athletes kind of stuff. And then, uh, just work on the outside outdoor industry with friends that I've built over the years and kind of help rep, rep their company and all that good stuff, which social media fucking sucks. That's tough for, for a guy like me. I'm not, I'm yeah. not 20. I don't get it. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like a battle to, no, it's tough. I mean, I, I've been very fortunate in that, uh, I don't, I don't run mine. I mean, I, I yeah. get in there and interact with people uh, in some occasions, messages and, and yeah. what have you when I when I can. But in terms of the content and, and the structure and all that, yeah. I I, uh, I know what I don't know, and, and for sure that's it. You know, because yeah, so, I want to make it meaningful, right? And if, you know, if I'm going to put something, really, I mean, IG's about all I really deal deal with. But if I'm going to either put a personal post or, or help, you know, something for the company, I want there's got to be a message there. It can't just be oh, a fucking cool picture of a gun. Like some of them are, but it's like. Yeah. What's the story? What's the meaning? What's yeah? There's got to be substance yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, substance to it, and you know, not these. I'm I'm not just a hot chick with a gun. Yeah, get a million followers. <laughs> yeah. What uh, is so? Is that what you're you're doing now? Or yeah. So I'm. So again, my mission is try to use my experiences to make everybody else's life better. You know, what can I teach them from two and a half decades of doing what we do to either impact their life, impact their family, start them into something they've never maybe never even tried before. Yeah. So that's kind of my mission. So how that focuses and where that works is everything from, again, businesses and helping them develop their leadership program and, and teamwork development with inside their with that within their yeah. Not to cut that out, but <laughs> develop their team. That's staying in, yeah. goddammit. <laughs> develop their team within uh, within the company, all the way down to youth athletes and sharing experiences and what really matters and what needs to get worked up on and what really doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, kind of the whole water on the bridge. You know, yeah. can't fucking touch it. It's gone. Yeah. Focus on what you can learn and, and move on. Yeah. No, I think that's fucking great. Uh, any, any 
current or plans to teach shooting or is that i do i've been uh kind of doing well besides my military and, and law enforcement guys I'll, I'll do some classes for them but uh, i've been doing more like one-on-one -on -one type classes lately for uh, like like word of mouth type stuff but yeah. uh i did just have our local gun club they're building a good pistol range so we can, oh, cool yeah i find that very rewarding for me to to share yeah. that with with people yeah so i mean shit, a lot of people even our, our local police forces they don't they don't get the training they need yeah. especially these days and everybody no, no. wants to cut money away from them and they don't yeah so when you do have a situation they don't know how to react so yeah yeah trying to give back to the community and teaching my firefighters how to defend themselves teaching women how to at least defend themselves safely yeah you know i'm not teaching krav maga and any of that shit but yeah you know, how do i use a gun and, and not hurt myself or anybody else yeah no that's fucking that's awesome uh, if there are departments, uh, SWAT groups, military, whatever out there that want to enlist you to, uh, to come train for them with them, et cetera, uh, how do they get a hold of you to do that? Yeah. I'd probably just, I get you an email address and stuff. If it, uh, I'd spell it out. It's a TV Huyen, H O U I N at iCloud. Did I pronounce your name wrong? Probably. Man. Everybody, everybody <laughs> did. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even bat an eye yeah. anymore when, yeah. when somebody tries to hit it. If they pause before it, I'd expect it to be messed up. <laughs> I but, sure uh, as fuck did. Yeah. yeah hit that up or uh, hit me on Messenger or something else. And Yeah. yeah. What uh, What is your Instagram? I mean, if somebody wanted to get on Instagram to follow oh, my you. Gram, my Gram, yeah. my IG, as the, as the kids call it yeah. these days. My, <laughs> yeah, so my IG is uh, is just Terry.Huyen, so my name, T-E-R-Y dot H-O-U-I-N. Okay. And it's easy enough. And then, yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll I put... I think it's the same on Facebook. I don't know. I just okay. copy everything over. But worst case, people can... Uh, do you have a website or... No, well, I'm I'm building one. I haven't okay. I don't have one rolled out yet. Yeah, we'll stick. I with probably that. should. Yeah, I mean, if, if people, can, I mean, they can find you on Instagram and and yeah. uh, message you there. So we'll put. Uh, put yeah, as much as I hate the gram, that's yeah, I'm on it every day. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's an amazing uh, tool. I mean, just like with it a lot of been, these well, that's so. how that's how you and I got together. Yeah. And I saw you on here, and I don't remember what we reached out to originally. I think it might have been. I think it was backpacks. Dogs. Actually, it was uh, it was actually the fucking brand that you're wearing. Oh. on your hat <laughs> oh yeah yeah maybe yeah, that's yeah. back yeah we, but, yeah we found each other by yeah. by the gram and yeah. that's how i that's how i got to know andy erbito yeah. from half face blades yeah it's fucking crazy huh? it's it's as much as i hate it for the like the stupid shit that's on there it's great for guys like us to stay yeah. in touch because like i found <clears throat> 10 guys i didn't even know yeah no i mean like with most things it's a double-edged sword you know there's a way to, to well, it's great too i mean you know, like one of my things is trying to help the veterans yeah. and the transition or, or if I can link up or do whatever I can, you know, that's how I met Brandon who, who's hosting us down here. He's just like, Hey, yeah. I'm getting out and I'd like to get into the outdoor industry. Can you help me out? So I, you know, had half a dozen phone calls with him. Yeah. At least share what I knew about it and yeah. who to avoid and who to call. Yeah. And that's and that, in that industry. It's big on who, who not to talk to yeah. or who not to trust. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. So yeah. I have all the veterans or even some of my bud students reach out and like, Hey, yeah. would you put in a word? I want to come back. You know, like those yeah. guys I want to come back. And yeah, that's cool. Like, Hey, did you, you know, have a conversation with them. Did you learn your lesson? Did yeah. you grow up? Did you mature? <laughs> yeah. Are you still a dipshit? Yeah. But I mean, some of those guys got back to the program and graduated and now they're in the teams. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. That's good. And yeah. from that aspect, it's good to yeah. have that opportunity. Guys yeah. can reach out and ask questions and yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, man, it's a, a remarkable career you've had. Uh, I, I want to say thank you for for your service. I didn't realize how long it was until we started yeah. talking about it. I'm like shit, I've been. That's what she said. I'm old. <laughs> yeah, no, I know yeah. it. it uh, but uh, there's there's a lot to go over, you know, and uh, and oh, yeah. I, and it's worth going over, you know. So I, I appreciate you coming on and, and being willing to share. I know a lot of it's hard to yeah. to recall and to talk about, but yeah. to me, th these are stories that uh, that are important to be 
remembered to be told and, and to be archived so that, uh, you know, next generations and, and years to come, uh, you know, people have access to, uh, to what, what went, went down and what yeah. happened. So yeah, it'd be good. I mean, I'll have my kids listen to it cause they won't listen to me yeah. when I tell stories. So <laughs> have them listen to this and yeah. oh, get a different awesome. perspective on, on pops. Yeah. No, they'll, they'll be like, wait a minute. That's you. Yeah. You yeah. did that shit. Well, that's, I mean, the one, the nice thing about the Instagram is, is like the little town that we live in, yeah. all the high school boys know exactly what I did yeah. for a living. <laughs> yeah. They don't fuck with so you. So they don't fuck around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. They, at least they better not. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. I'll get you guys. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been an honor having, Absolutely. Uh, having a conversation. Absolutely. With I'm glad we were it. able finally to make it, make yeah. it work out. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you for coming and uh, I appreciate it. Anything you yeah. want to add before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, yeah. So follow me on Instagram. Follow me. Uh, so I will also work for Redcon One uh, Supplement Company, kind of building out their outdoor brand. So if you like supplements and outdoors and working and guns and that kind of stuff, follow that. Redcon One Outdoors. Yeah. And hit me up with questions. Fucking rock and roll. Yeah. I, All right. I got no problem talking to people. Yeah. Amen. Well, I appreciate it again. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you. I'd like to take a quick second uh, to shout out and thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Origin Labs and Jocko Fuel. Jocko Fuel is a great product. Uh, he's got a ton of products actually within the Jocko Fuel line. Uh, the guests and I enjoy them on the show. And outside, I take a lot of the supplements. Uh, I've got some of the Origin Lab jeans, uh, boots, geese, and uh, it's just all around American industry. Uh, they do a fantastic job really re-revolutionizing American industry from start to finish. It's all American made, uh, all American sourced. Everything start to finish is made right there in-house, and they really do a phenomenal job creating the products and fulfilling the whole ball of wax. They've been a huge supporter of the Mic Drop podcast for a while now, and I really can't thank Jocko Fuel and Origin Labs enough for the job that they do for us, and so thank you to you guys. I'd also like to say thank you to our other sponsor, Resilience Premium CBD. Resilience is excited to offer all Mic Drop listeners a 20% off discount on all products for two weeks from when this podcast is live using the discount code MICDROP at checkout. That's two words, MICDROP at checkout. I'd also like to say that Resilience is a great company uh, that works in conjunction with Trico CBD and all military veterans and first responders receive 35% off. Yes, that's 35% off for all military veterans and first responders. And that's uh, through the military and first responders program. You just have to sign up at resiliencecbd.com slash military first responders discount. Uh, in terms of about resilience, generally speaking, it's a premium CBD that I use. Again, it works in conjunction with the Tricos brand for the everyday athlete. Uh, that's www.resiliencecbd.com. And Resilience was uh, really born with the founders who uh, are military veterans as well, personally experienced the effects uh, and impact that CBD had on their own mental and physical obstacles. Their focus was sharper, mental stress was calmed, fitness stamina increased, and their bodies felt less pain, inflammation after super intense workouts. Uh, a lot of times most people and, and people are able to either wean and off entirely or significantly reduce Pain management, uh, pain management therapy. This is a shared vision among the founders that this uh, incredible supplement had not only changed their lives, but had the power to provide unbelievable benefits to family, friends, athletes, fellow veterans, and ultimately the entire fitness community. So big shout out to Resilience for their product as well as the Trico stuff. Uh, we sure appreciate their support. Uh, for you guys, the listeners, as always, uh, I appreciate the hell out of you uh, spending the time. I'll look this way. You, you look that way. Yeah. I look this way. That's... I'll look at yours, and you look at mine. Yeah, a whole bunch of cameras uh, yeah. here. Um, they come in handy. <laughs>
the uh, I just I want to say thank you as always. I know yeah. I, I always end the show with that, but uh, you know, again, with without the uh, in, incredible and overwhelming support that you guys continue to show, uh, show after show, is is absolutely nothing short of humbling. So I, I appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, listening to fine guys like Terry's story. Uh, again, they they should be told and, and heard and and cherished so and learned from so. Uh, thank you to you guys. Uh, if you haven't choked yourself yet, you go ahead and choke yourself. <laughs> time and, to choke. Uh, and until next time, this is Mike Drop. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. <laughs>